Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is that time once... Uh, Yeah, no, I'm done doing that stupid voice. Welcome back to the It's a Mimic podcast. Um, This is going to be the last of our Call of Cthulhu uh, Deep Dark of Radiance episodes. If you notice by little tease there, we are planning on doing something more in the future. Um, Once Adam and I and the rest of the team have a chance to rest and uh, catch back up with what's going on in the real world, because these episodes have been fun, but have been a lot of work. So we're really thankful that you all like them. Um, We've been loving the response we're getting so far. But um, I just wanted to give you guys one last little uh, taste of the campaign, and uh, that will come today in the form of a Q&A that the players and I sat down after all was said and done and talked about the campaign, talked about each other and our experiences with Call of Cthulhu and role-playing in general. Um, so this is the eulogy episode, meaning it is the last episode of this series, but it is not the last episode of Call of Cthulhu in general on the It's a Mimic channel. Keep your ears open and your eyes peeled for any sort of notifications there. But anyways, uh, we're just going to dive right into it. Again, guys, uh, coming from my perspective here as the you know editor and, and keeper of Arcane Secrets, I, I really uh, loved this process. It was a stretch for me as a DM, and I'm loving the fact that you guys have all just kind of gobbled this up. Anyways, thank you, and on with the show that I like to call The Deep Dark of Radiance. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast. Um, my name is DM Dan. This is the last episode of our Call of Cthulhu game, The Deep Dark of Radiance. We are all done, we're all wrapped up, and we wanted to kind of sit down and have a uh, episode where we all kind of gave our thoughts of the system, gave our thoughts of the game. Um, we have quite a wide range of experience around this table. Around the table here with me are Dr. Terry, who played uh, Detective Martin Noir. Martin Jean-Claude Noir? Martin no. Claude Noir. Just the Claude uh, Noir. The um, aged detective that seemed to actually survive, wow. although getting gutted in the first episode. Mm, did close to death several times. Several times, yeah. Um, next to Terry is Megan, who played Dirty, uh, a late addition to the campaign, and the first one to actually die as well. So, You're uh, welcome. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Thank you. Uh, all this at the end. If you Okay, yeah. If you haven't listened to the rest of the podcast yet... Megan dies. Megan <laughs> dies. <laughs> but... but <laughs> Spoiler alert. We're talking about the whole uh, breadth of this campaign. Um, all eight episodes, nine episodes, however many it's uh, going to pan out to be. Um, and so if you haven't listened, go back, listen, then come back and listen to this one. This will be the last episode in this little mini-series that we're doing. Um, across the table from me and next to Megan is Adam, who you all know from the podcast. He played uh, Moses T. Ripley, Rip for short, who is one half of Rip and Gun. Um, he played the now dead half of Rip and Gun, whereas the breathing yet still insane half 
of Ripping Gun uh, was played by intern Dave, who I will give his time now um, and actually say he's playing, what was the full name? Gunther the Hunter? Did you ever come up with a last name for him? Oh, uh, yeah, the Hunter. Oh, his last name was the Hunter. Uh, it is now. Okay, yes. cool. <laughs> and then beside Dave is Mieka, who played Charity Flanagan of the North Carolina Flanagans, yeah. and also her big bag of money, which some lucky soldier is now walking away with. Um, <laughs> so, guys, thank you so much for uh, playing with me. Um, playing <laughs> Crazy, my God. <laughs> playing in this campaign with me. <laughs> Were we allowed to call phrasing this whole time? Yes. <laughs> okay. I would, we would have done it. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> That's what we do. I, I just kind of did barely any sex tapes. Yeah, I, I just sit here and give Dan the look and see if I can derail it. This is why next time we're running a campaign like this, we're not sitting across the table from each other. I, I don't want to look up. So I, can whisper in your ear. I don't want the first thing I <laughs> see when I look up from my notes to be your face. It's just not. I love well, conducive to appropriate mood. Terry, you see what I put up with on a weekly basis? You deserve yeah. every bit of it. Yeah, you really do. Anyway, you're not getting paid at this point. So, guys, I just want to ask: uh, How do you? How did everyone feel about the game? Now that's all over. So, what are your thoughts? Generally, broad strokes, I thought it was good. Professional podcaster, ladies and gentlemen. Here's my, here's my problem with this question. There are 22 questions, and the first one is, how do you feel about the game? That can't be answered without answering the other questions. There's 26 questions, Terry. Exactly. So we'll get to it later? Is that what you... Well, yes and no, because I do have some comments that I kind of came up with that were very different from the other I, I think this yeah. is more about, like, a, a general. In general. Like, a ge how, generally, how did, how did you feel about the game? Because, like, this is... Most of our first time playing Call of Cthulhu. I'll tell you how it felt without touching on any of the other subjects. Is that what you're asking me to do? Oh, touch on the other subjects. I don't whatever care if you, you touch want. the other subjects. Can you touch whatever you Raising want. Raising, guys! <laughs> this is better. I like this. I thought it was great. I love the vulnerability of the game that the player characters had, and I love the, the, the legit horror that comes from that feeling of vulnerability, and I love the darkness of it, and, and I love not feeling like a superhero everywhere I went. I don't need that. I don't need to feel like I'm the biggest, baddest person. I need to feel like I'm coming as close to death as possible all of the time for it to feel real. Otherwise, what do we do? Fair enough. Yeah, you can't really have a horror game without the threat of death. It's harder in other systems. It's harder in D&D because you're just a freaking superhero. It's going to take four rounds before you go down. So yeah. I gotta say, this is the first time I've played really any game since, I don't know, Silent Hill? Resident Evil 2, like like the 90s, where I felt legitimately scared for my character. I felt like I was in a horror movie. It does have that Silent Hill feel to it. Yeah, it yeah. really does. That like just beyond your vision, horrid shit is happening. Yeah, bad Still camera lights, angles, in depth yeah. descriptions. Bad camera angles, and in the distance you see and you hear nothing because for some reason the camera is facing you. Why am I, I dying? Why am I down? dying? Why am I, I dying? Down. Oh right, a zombie dog. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought it was really well done. Uh, I liked how we kind of had like consistent buildup all the way through. Uh, you know, characters actually got to know each other a little bit. You know, uh, I discovered who my character was through interactions with. On like others. the fourth or fifth episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you're not used to role playing in your role playing games. Uh, it's combat heavy. Yeah. Yeah. They're main. They're mainly tactical war games yeah. with like the ability to do role playing if you really feel the need. But yeah, yeah. you're allowed to get a catchphrase in. <laughs> Sometimes. Make a name for yourself, shall we say? Cut yeah. off some steam, Bennett. <laughs> One of my favorite ones. 
Um, I would kind of say, like, I agree. I enjoy the storytelling aspect of the whole thing. Uh, my issue is I am not a strong role player. I'm just not. Um, just because I am more of an introverted role player. So I usually have to use different types of tactics to get myself into a story and into a character. Um, so this one was a little bit harder for me from that aspect, especially since the game is built to be over a longer period of time. And I chose a character that kind of her abilities were very structured to being a longer period of time. So we yeah. kind of had to retcon her abilities a lot. And so that was a little bit different for me, but overall I like the idea, but I do kind of, the fact that it took place in the 1920s <coughs> is also a bit of a struggle. I made a note about that as well, just because of trying to figure out what you have, what you don't have items you can acquire, items you can't acquire, but overall I enjoyed it quite a bit. Well, I'm used to seeing you play fighty characters in RPGs, yeah. and you really weren't this time. I tried something very different than what I normally would play, um, so that did kind of structure the how I responded to the game style, but the percentile system and the mechanics of it, we'll get into that later, but that kind of played into how I played my character a lot, because it's very different than what I'm used to, so. Mm. Well, the, the, the uh, Mika, what do you think? Because um, you were completely new to role-playing in general, right? Yeah, um, so I pretty much agree with everybody. <laughs> so um, you're not allowed to go last anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's going to be your technique. Oh well, well, we'll go a little bit more into the fact that Mieka's a brand new player to tabletop yeah. games in, in general mm. a little bit later. But just overall, how did you feel like coming into a room, sitting around at a table... While um, playing a character that's not you. I was pretty scared because I didn't know what to do or what to expect. But like as the game went on, I got pretty comfortable and I was like really into the story because mm -hmm. I'm I like to write so any type of storytelling I'm like really into and awesome. So it was nice to kind of like be a character in the story. And I would say despite the math, it's a very easy system to learn how to operate. Yeah, the math it was deceptively was easy to to get after into. you get over the fact that you have to do math. It's quite nice. Yeah. The character character um, creation was the longest part. part. I, it was the yeah. hardest part. I thought it was going to be very difficult um, mathematically, which I'm not about. I like loosey goosey systems, like. D5e. But it's very much a, you know, just roll under the number that you've spent an it, hour figuring out. Comparative math. Which one yeah. is higher instead of add three? Yeah. yeah. Right? So. Yeah. And, but the, the character creation takes a while. Um, and that was off putting at first. But then once you get going, you're fine. You're set. Because there's no DC system like there is in D&D. So it's just the same number. All that, the time. That's actually a really good point. The other thing, too, that I think we all took for granted is we knew by the time that we rolled the dice and looked down, we knew before the the game master, the keeper of arcane secrets, knew of whether we succeeded or failed. Mm -hmm. Right? We knew. We didn't have to say, "Does a seventeen hit?" Yeah. We knew if we succeeded or not. Right? Yeah. And so that's that's unique. It's something that I wasn't expecting. You yeah. can almost respond as a character before the GM actually takes it from there, right? Yeah. It actually gives a lot of agency to the players as well because you. You're the ones telling me you succeed, and then I've got to react as the keeper of arcane secrets. I've got to react to your level of success. <coughs> There's the one. There's the one. It never takes long. Um, so, aside from the game, how did you guys feel playing in a specifically horror genre? Well, I guys, I forget. This is out to the group. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, and I know, like Adam, you and I share this deep love for the horror genre. Probably you a little bit more than. Me. Oh, yeah, in a big way. In a big way. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was kind of you and me brainstorming that brought us to playing a Call of Cthulhu game. So Well, that and, and Terry turning to me like a year ago and saying, I've always wanted to get into the Lovecraft stuff. And I'm like, I have a book. Read this book. And then, and then we started. <laughs> and I did. And he did. 
Terry can read. Yeah. Despite all appearances. Can you now? Yeah. <laughs> I started What percentage reading. do you have in knowledge? <laughs> uh, I didn't... Joke's on you, because I didn't bring my character sheet, Megan. <laughs> Here's I don't one. Start rolling. So don't you... Sats me. What I didn't bring say? dice oh. either. Yeah. Oh. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. As far as the horror genre goes, this is more conducive to horror, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you really got to lay it on thick for horror in D and D, whether it's undead or cosmic horror from beyond, portals opening and tentacles coming out. It's not just scare me in D and D. I'm ready to fight that. Yeah. In yeah. this, that happens, and I'm, I'm just gonna throw yeah. dynamite and run. Yeah. It's a threat of this was I found a much better system for horror because there's legitimate threat of death in D and D. Adam's right. It's like. You can describe how scary something is, and some people get it, and some people want it. Some people are gonna be like, "Look, dude, I have 89 hit points. I can make an earthquake. It's fine. Let's hurry up. Hurry up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go." <laughs> oh, you're a vampire! Come oh, on. whatever, banishment. <laughs> like it's fine. It's true. Well, and then like creepy crows standing on rooftops while your ranger's just gonna shoot it. Not gonna. Glowing exactly. eyes though that get me. Yeah. But no, I liked it because again, this game kind of gives you that ability to storytell in quite such a nice way. Um, I do find that other times I've played in role-playing games that are specifically horror genre though we usually play the ambiance when you're in a room playing with people because we were recording a podcast we didn't really have the opportunity to play music or have lighting or do like other things yeah. like that. And a lot of that is being added like the, the auditory ambience is going to be added afterwards. After. Yeah, so right? like as so. a player it's kind of like it's different playing it outside of the horror genre in your mind when trying to get your take your head and the fact that yeah. you are in a horror place. Yeah, and it really depends on, and this is something that I think a lot of groups kind of when you get into Dungeons and Dragons and get into other games, they don't do as well. You really have to rely on description. Yeah. Uh, for Call of Cthulhu and, and building into the horror genre. Like, if, if you are not describing your awkward camera angles, then um, a little bit is lost, right? And yeah. I mean, you could fill the room with, you know, mist and have be lit by candlelights only, right? But, oh my god, I need to bring a fog machine to D&D &D now. <gasps> yeah, right? Can we? <laughs> we won't record that episode because every 10 minutes you'll just hear a in the background. <laughs> if Dan didn't cough a lot before. <laughs> yeah, right? That'll be the worst. I can take a vaping. Nope. Please don't. That's not That's not something you should do. Nobody you look like else. you vape. No, yeah. You, you look like you vape. You look like you could be a vapor, but I'm just going to say, please don't. That'll be my one mom moment. They have cool moment. Just don't. smells and stuff. No, they're not cool. Right, what about the south half of the room? Yeah, so uh, south half of the room, what do you guys think? Playing in the horror genre. I, I like it. It was familiar, yet... It was really foreign because I never played in this kind of setting before. Uh, I mean, I've got a lot of spent a lot of time watching horror movies. It's a, well, you worked in a haunted theme park with me. Yeah, and yeah, film. We've got we've made horror movies. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, it, the, I'm not super familiar with Lovecraft, so that was kind of a nice swap on things. Uh, the thing that I really liked about it is I didn't care what the monster was uh, in D and D, which I've played too much of. Uh, I always know that it's. Uh, oh, it's a werewolf. I need silver. In this, it was just, it's a bad guy. I, I really have no idea what the heck I'm going to do. Uh, and, and it was just, it, it kept it fresh. It kept yeah. it... Did you feel like you were in over your head the whole time? Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Big, big time. These seven guns I have probably won't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Except to a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. heart. <laughs> that is placed, pasted on the wall behind the body of your character. <laughs> Too soon, too so, soon. But that is too soon, Duffit. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Duffit. Uh, <laughs> Miega, what was... Miega, uh, what about you? Uh, it was scary. 
Really? Only because you spent most of it laughing. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's a defense mechanism. Like she, it, she can't handle it, so she's laughing. I think that's what it is. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was really scary to me. And you, and Dan, you did a good job of like you know, um, explaining things and with description and everything. I confessed this to Adam, mm-hmm. and I just want it out on the table now. Oh God! You were my gauge to how well I was doing for describing. <laughs> yeah. uh, like any sort of creepy or horror level thing because I would just look across the room and the level of which you retreated into yourself <laughs> yeah. as I was explaining I was like okay now I could go a little bit further with this okay and there's the line I'm done <laughs> right and, oh, yeah. and like uh, what was it describing the uh, body of the head the lead geologist strung across the cave uh, entrance oh. mm. like you you actually great. like turned your chair and looked away from me <laughs> So I was like, okay, I've, I've hit the line. Uh, mm-hmm. When when I started mentioning like tendons being stretched across, you're like, nope, I'm done. Okay, we're good. Uh, the the gore and the uh, body horror of it mm-hmm. really hit you. Um, what about? We're actually. I, I want to hit the fact that you are brand new to any sort of role playing now. So, mm-hmm. um, what in general, from your perspective as a completely green uh, tabletop role player, um. What was your perspective on it, and uh, how have you proceeded from there? Because I, I, I'm to understand you've taken up fifth edition now and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, well, at first it was like pretty intimidating. Like there was like a lot of rules, and I had to like act a certain way and stuff. But, and speak up. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really good at like the talking thing, so I'm usually like the quietest person in the room. But um, I found it intimidating at first, but then like, you know, as I said earlier, I got used to it. And uh, yeah. yeah. What was the other question? Uh, well, just <laughs> <laughs> uh, how have you per- uh, proceeded from Call of Cthulhu? Like you've started playing the uh, fifth edition, you've started uh, mm-hmm. doing that. And, and uh, well, I'll ask you a little bit later to like compare and contrast them. Yeah. But um, how have you liked Fifth edition and then and I I feel like fifth edition is like it's more open. With this, things were kind of like narrow, I guess, because we're dealing with like the 1920s and like one specific place. But like with uh, fifth edition, I can like do anything and like go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. This this was definitely more rigid. Um, So yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, I'm really glad you guys enjoyed the game. Um, It did it did take a lot of work. I, I did it. It actually, Did you actually prep for this? I actually prepped for this. And what was that like? Um, honestly, it was a little bit of fun because I've got this big rolling whiteboard and I just went full beautiful mind on it. And like mm-hmm. I had the entire history of the Radiance Valley on one side and then I, I, because I knew we were going to be recording this, I broke down like what my big uh, beats in every single episode would be, um, which was null and void after episode four. Or episode three, whatever, whatever one it was. I was gonna say, when did we shatter that? Yeah, yeah no, it was it was episode three or episode four. We were um, supposed to go into that cave, right? I wanted you guys to check out the cave, or at least get closer to the lead geologist, because you guys saw him from a distance and then noped. Yeah, yeah, right. I wasn't going in there. Um, and like I tried to add a, an external threat of the howling of the wolves to kind of push you. Guys a baleful howling. I was gonna yeah. say, what kind of howl? Was it was ba- it? it was baleful. Oh. I hate you people. <laughs> um, you were torn between a baleful howl and viscera, so I didn't know where to go. <laughs> well, I figure you know, viscera is a very, uh, it's not a very active threat. Mm-hmm. It it is very. Uh, 
passive. It's just there. It's observable. If anything but is saying, don't come in here, it's spreading a body and viscera <laughs> across, blocking the path into the cave. Something inside. But, but do you so, think this is the difference between D&D and Call of Cthulhu? Because in D&D, you sit there and go, well, that's, you know, nine-tenths of a dead kobold in no particular order. Yeah. Let's go in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Absolutely. But in Call of Cthulhu, you go. <laughs> I don't forget that Dan even mentioned the body at the mouth of the cave. Yeah. By the end of the session, you would trip over the rope getting in. is yeah. What would happen yeah. if you're playing D and D for sure? Well, and you guys blew up the little uh, uh, out building that was not there. The outhouse. Not outhouse, out building that was there that was spawning these worms, um, which was fantastic. And and uh, that's actually one of the things I would say I failed at because I was like, here's a big old pile of dynamite expecting you just to light the pile and go and you're like no I'm going to store this and yeah we blew up everything <laughs> everything got blown up that, that, was, that was a good nugget that you just dropped <laughs> <laughs> but um, honestly it was it was it was really fulfilling I I even after you guys broke the mold and whatnot, we, we were fortunate where you guys broke the mold and that was the last episode we were recording for that day. So I was able to pick it back up and figure out where we're going to go to next. Um, okay, I and, I, and, I, and I had to actually plan that out and, and go. And I, I, But I got a question for you on that on that vein. You, this was very railroad. As much as we went off the path, you knew, you said you went beat by beat. Yeah. Was that because this was podcast format? You knew how many episodes and uh, our release schedule? Or was that, like, does Call of Cthulhu lead you towards railroading as opposed to sandboxing? Which which way do you feel? Uh, It's definitely more open to uh, a sandbox game. Um, And most of that is just because of there are a lot of rules in the recovery side of Call of Cthulhu that require months of in-game time to pass. So anytime your character is going to sit for months at a time to regenerate sanity or regenerate hit points or whatever it is, uh, recover from major wounds, that is going to bring in a lot of sandbox aspect because while one party party member sitting on the side, you know, healing or recovering, the other two party members are out looking for other clues or, or doing something along those lines. So it does kind of lead and tend more towards sandboxing in my opinion. Um, was it a challenge then? To is that why we were so isolated? Uh, that is one of the reasons why you guys were so isolated, and because isolation um, feeds into horror. Like I wanted to give the idea that you guys were stuck, so you had to deal with it. So I, I did that very intentionally, um, both for my own management purposes. Because as I've said on the um, podcast many a time before, I don't like to over prep. I like to kind of give room for the players to take narrative control of the story. Um, I could not do that as much here, also because it's an audio format, yeah. right? And and we were recording it, and I wanted it to have like conducive episodes with um, a cliffhanger that would draw people back every week or every episode, right? So um, it it was a different form of planning, and uh, it was definitely a challenge, but it was fulfilling at the same time. Yeah, we couldn't focus so much on the math necessarily. That had to be focused on the story. no, and but like I had, I had to change a couple of the rules from base Call of Cthulhu to fit that and make it a little bit more survivable for you guys. I know there's a lot of Call of Cthulhu loyalists out there who are listening in and going, "How do they have those ninety plus sanity points that uh, Rip and Gun ended up with at the end of the campaign?" I did not have that many at the end of the uh, campaign. Uh, sorry, true, <laughs> true. Uh, the start oh, of the end happened. of the campaign, you did. <laughs> the start of the end of the campaign. The start of the end of the campaign, you had you had more than ninety. But, but it, a lot of role playing is mechanical based and it's hard to do in an audio format, right? Yeah, so so I, I really had to pull back on that. So 
Um, I, I do want to ask one other question for another person on the uh, table because you know we, we're talking fifth, we're talking Call of Cthulhu, and how these are um, different forms of systems. But we have another system and experience with another system at the table that I wanted to draw on. So Dave, Monopoly. Uh, no, three point five, and okay. like the 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 more mechanical fifth edition. Uh, so three point five, Dave, you come directly from three point five, um, which is where the math is far more intense and the system is far more unforgiving. No kidding. How does Call of Cthulhu compare to that for you? Uh, well, let me tell you. It recently, since we started playing C- Cthulhu, uh, Cthulhu. Uh, no, I'm doing it my way. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> That's an option. You can say that. <laughs> always to him. Always. Uh, I've also recently started playing Fifth Edition, and I gotta say, I hate three point five. It's terrible. I'm hating it. Now that also might be because I'm playing a bard currently, and I can't do anything because we're like level two. But you're playing a you're playing a bard in three point five. Yes, that's it, why you hate three point five. Oh uh, yeah, it's just it's mind numbing. I've got a little toy plastic flute that I got from the dollar store. I just sit there for half the session and try to make music on it. It's it, it's really just music practice at this point. But uh, I mean, Cthulhu is so much easier. That's the look I'm going for, Dad, right there. <laughs> Cthulhu? Are Cthulhu, you yes. Don't don't hit that T so hard. Right. Uh, so the one thing about Cthulhu that I really like better... <laughs> Sounds better than what you're saying. I like it too. I like it. I prefer it. I wrote Call of Kathy because I was... <laughs> <laughs> Kathy just sounds like some middle-aged woman who works down the laundrette. <laughs> uh, when I first started playing this, the, the one-half and the one-fifth values... Uh, really confused the hell out of me. Uh, but I think it really made it a lot simpler. Uh, there isn't all of that math uh, where we're adding plus three to this and I've got a morale bonus to that and my natural armor's this, so my AC's actually this, but this is a touch attack, so I'm this, and like it's just a math Am I flat footed? Am I not flat footed? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, it, it was so much easier. It was simple, and that allowed me to really stay in the game. Mm. Uh, it, it kept me engaged when it wasn't my turn, when I wasn't doing anything. Uh, the other thing is that we never had to stop to look up a rule. Uh, and that's one of my big things about 3.5 that really grinds on me. Uh, oh yeah, because if you're sitting down for a four-hour session 3.5, you're devoting an, an hour, hour and a half of that probably. Is looking up grapple yeah, rules. I've been playing for over 10 years and we're still looking up rules. Yeah. Like it's just, it's you know, one thing after another. Uh, this, it was just streamlined. We could actually role play. And that's, like we had said earlier, um, not where my background was, and that's kind of what I really liked about it. Yeah, cool. Um, Megan, you've got a lot of experience playing um, many systems and many different types of games and whatnot, Uh, but as Adam said earlier, you tend to play like a upfront, frontline fighting character. Mm -hmm. Um, At least with us, you have in the past. How is it to play a straight-up, full-on, non-combatant character in a world full of monsters? Super uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> the, the end, next. The end. Yeah. Um, no, it, honestly, it wasn't easy, especially in this kind of um, game format that was very roleplay heavy. Um, There's a little bit of prep for my character that I probably felt like I could have done better, which I can get into detail into later, but... When it came to being a non-combatant, you have to be more creative with your environment um, when it comes to doing certain things. And I just felt like there were moments where I was not able to address that the way I would want to. Um, and then being a non-combatant just made things really, really scary because you're in a horror environment and anytime I tried to shoot a gun, I shot somebody. So, um... Who, uh, just real quick, pull around the table. Who got shot by Gertie? What? Oh, no, only... 
I did get shot though, but that was from Detective Noir. Yeah, I think I think you guys took more bullet damage from each other than you guys dealt. I got buckshot in my back. I, so you got buckshot in your back. Like almost close range shotgun you in the, yeah. in the spine. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you got shot with a uh, rapid fire pistol shot in the shoulder, Adam. Yeah. 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 Um, Magnum round. Dave didn't get shot by anybody, but Dave killed Dirty yep. with, with a rifle shot to the chest. And I do it again. What the? <laughs> Did Charity kill anything? Uh, Charity She was involved killed. in a lot of damage. She straight mm-hmm. up killed uh, the very first uh, ghoul you guys came across. Uh, yeah. you were the, Charity was the best shot in the game. She yeah. was, yeah. Yeah, but you were, you were also hiding in the back the whole time. I couldn't remember. I was I not. literally <laughs> took a shit ton of damage for me to run back and save your ass on that chase like six oh, yeah. times. Yeah. Like I fell a lot, didn't I? Yeah, you just she, did not walk. So <laughs> she's the one that you know blew out the back of Ryan McKinney's head in uh, right outside of the Wolfjaw Inn. Yeah. Right? Uh, when you guys first got uh, as soon as you know Gunn and uh, Detective Noir are sitting on the ground bleeding <laughs> yeah. from open wounds. But that was jarring. Rip's character made me think much more creatively about mundane items because the amount of stuff you were able to achieve with a shovel was yeah. unprecedented. Or a chain flail. So next time I go into <laughs> D&D, I'm not going to be trying to disarm the poison dart trap. I'm just going to put a shovel over the hole and walk by it. Like, it's just... Th- that, yeah. is, that is literally how I play role-playing games. Yeah. Everyone else is like, what are my spell slots? What can I do? I'm like, I, I, I was saying this earlier. I'm, I go, I've got a clay jug. What am I going to be up to with this shit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And I, I mean, Dan, I, I, I've killed two of your main bosses in your campaigns within the last year by using mundane items. Yeah. yeah. Right? And yeah. I, and there's there's no item in the game more powerful to add up than a 10-foot pole and a jar full of <laughs> uh, uh, lantern oil. Is this yeah. a sex thing? Yes, that too. Okay. Yeah, that um. game as well. But that's the other podcast. Fantastic. Right. So we have dungeon mastering for both kinds of... Never mind. Yeah. Um... But so, that's that's my main piece of advice for anyone who's going into this particular game style without a weapon. Is it a sex is, thing? It's a is sex that thing. it's a sex thing? Um, <laughs> no, is that you have to be creative with the items that you have. And because my character, unfortunately, I joined in late, I did not actually add items to my character. So in her possession, she didn't really have anything she could be creative yeah. with. And so she had to use her environment, which sometimes was just slim and nil to what was around. So um, that's my word of advice. If you're going to do something non-combatant, bring other shit with you. Cool. Um, we did mention that uh, Gun uh, straight up murdered Gertie. Accidentally murdered. Accidentally in a in a, in a fit of murdered. insanity. Well, I mean, Gertie critical failed on the. Oh the yeah, and, and Gertie like. And then I rolled max damage on the like. It, yeah, it, uh, it no, was, it was it was the dice happen. dice playing against you guys, but um, to Megan and Adam, you guys are the only two characters in this that actually died. Um, what was that experience like? Uh, well, yeah, I can uh, kind of attest to this. So, um, I felt like it was a relief when I died. <laughs> um, more, more of a sense. Is that the way we should go? Is that this better? Just yeah. so much better. This, this is a bad podcast now yeah. for some people. Um, yeah, if that's a trigger warning, please, please don't listen to that. It's too late now, but that's fine. <laughs> no, oh, Megan, was, you're responsible for a lot now. I am, yeah. Um, no, it was more along the lines of I almost thought it was going to happen sooner. First of all, because my intro to the game, I almost died before I made it to you guys. Yeah, um, that's so, true. That was great. So yeah. by the time I actually made it to you guys, I didn't expect to make it through the first episode or two. So the fact that I made it through to the point where I did, when I got to the end and we were kind of nearing and coming things to a close, 
when she got shot, I didn't even think to push my dice. And yeah. I didn't. I just rolled the worst roll you could possibly roll to save myself, and I didn't push it because I was like, you know what? This is more epic in her death than trying to push this roll. So I just let it happen. Um, Otherwise, you're lying at the bottom of the stairs, sputtering and spurting and, and just yeah, waiting for medicine checks to fail. Right. So I was just like, just let her go. So on the bright side, she died quickly, as opposed to Rip. Rip went out in an explosion, being slowly impaled by falling debris. I don't know how thing, how slowly debris falls for him. <laughs> but when he it was raining from the sky. Well, every explosion happens in slow motion. So. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, no. I, uh, to be completely honest, you and I have had a conversation about uh, the death of... The, spoilers. The death of Chewbacca. Yeah. Uh, and, and how that went down in, yeah. in uh, the Star Wars Chewbacca books. Die. That was a spoiler for you? I'm sorry, friend. It wasn't. We've talked about it on the podcast. Listen to you, Ted. But <laughs> love you too, Gary. Uh, but I wanted to give you that kind of moment where you're sitting with like your defiant fist out to the sky, howling at it. So I kind of because you were this massive, hairy beast that could rip the arms it's off. Funny, right? I, did, I didn't make that parallel myself. I was sitting there looking at the rest of them, going, "They're gonna run away." Gun, who's my best bro, is gonna make it because we're we're in an '80s action. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I think we surf in Hawaii. I think it's a part of this. <laughs> okay, oh but um, at least we do BMX. One of you wears loafers with no socks. Like exactly. Rolls yeah. up your suit jacket. Yeah. So with the cuff underneath it, like the two levels. <laughs> it, it, it's beautiful. The other one rolls up the t-shirt and has a pack of smokes tucked in yeah. it. Yes. Um, but uh, but it was it was gun and charity who was like the person that I would like potentially going to be Rip's future as far as investment whatnot. I'm like, if there are any two people that he wants to get out alive, it's going to be these two. And then the crows descended. And I was assuming the crows would be intelligent enough to not attack me if I am going to light then every, everything up, because they're the eyes and ears of... Yeah. Uh, Neartholotep. Yeah. Emotep. Um, and completely different. It, is it? Yeah, completely different. Well, okay. not actually. Ac- really not, actually. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, so I had the, this idea that I'm either going to go out in a blaze of glory, literally, or I'm going to walk away from this and be like, ow, ow, ow. Like I did from the last three things that happened. Yeah. And, uh, and then you did a thing, and this is why i got to ask you, I'm going to flip this on you, okay? Because it just occurred to me while uh, Megan was talking. Both when Megan died and when I died, you took away our roles. And you said, this happens. Do you get uncomfortable killing players? Vastly, yes. <laughs> because I've watched you kill players before and you try to get it over with as quickly as possible. You don't like to wallow in it. Whereas I, as Terry can attest, uh, I, I want to wallow in the character death. Mm. I want you to feel it for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. I want, the, I want you to slowly fade to black as a player. Yeah. But I feel like, that, again, this is another example of you assuming that everybody else thinks like you. So, Well, actually, if it's... That's a, what people do. People well, no, if, if, if it's a game that I am uh, I am playing around a table without a microphone present, I would wallow a little bit more, make it a little bit more weighty. Um, but because we are trying to hit a certain timetable, but because I'm trying yeah, to sure. wrap up the episode... Right? I, I, I was being critical. I was just like, every, every time... I've seen you do it in other games, too, where somebody dies and you're like... Unfortunately, that is the end of your character. All right, what's what's everybody else doing? Mm-hmm. Right, and there isn't that like I run funerals. <laughs> I can't. What that, a beautiful that, moment! That's <laughs> all. People think differently. It's all what is important to you in the game. 
you know. Yeah, and 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 but I just wanted to kind of hit home that the DM or the or the GM or the keeper keeper of Arcane Secrets also has an emotional attachment to these characters as well. I was content going into Blaze of Glory also because there was like 10 minutes left at the end, but I'm like, haha, action sequence. I got to be Gandalf on the bridge, right? With the Balrog. That's that's what I wanted. Yeah. Right? So I was really, really okay with it, but you seem to have more problems than I did. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I don't like killing characters, which is not the... Call of Cthulhu is not the game for anybody who is squeamish about killing characters, right? Yeah. To be completely honest, I fudged a couple things earlier on. God damn it, Dan! Daniel! <laughs> you say god damn it, but you were dead in the first episode. That's okay! Uh, Gertie was as well, and you know Gert, what? Gertie was as well. We were about to walk into this campaign, and it would have been ripping charity. This like, is where we after episode two. This is where we think differently, because this is a game that's based on dice. If that happens to me, I go, what are we doing then? What are we doing? No, so the only reason why I held on to uh, Detective Noir and Gunn when I did is, and Gertie to a lesser extent, um, was because we were on episode one. Well, I mean, right? And, well, and like, I didn't want to lose half my table at episode one. That's fair. Right. Also, look, I'm with Terrius. I'm cool with it. But it was the first time we'd actually done combat. Mm -hmm. And the idea that, well, I'm going to walk right up to him and I'm going to punch him in the mouth. Oh, he can hit me back on my turn was oh. very strange for Oh, us. I got worse to say about that bullshit later as well. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Dodge later. <laughs> yes, let's. Initiative, not necessary, Call Cthulhu. They're going anyway. <laughs> uh, so we kind of talked about the character's de character death and, and playing in this new system, but I when we rolled up the characters and... and um, we formed our original wants and needs. I, I, I really want to know when you guys kind of gave up on what your character's goal was going into this and just focused on the story. When when was that point for? Immediately. First five minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Immediately. Uh, I had not a well, big you long You, didn't, you didn't have a lot of like future plans or back plans. You, like, you were in the area to kill big things. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had some stuff that I thought might be neat with my guy. Uh, I had a mustache. I'm not sure any of you knew that. Right here, it's on my paper. All right. I even, uh, I even on my uh, sheet here, treasured possessions, mustache, gear and possessions, mustache wax. We never even got into it. All right. Uh, so there was a lot that I never even got to explore. It wasn't whether Gunther was Stan Marsh from, Sy from South Park. <laughs> mustache wax. I have a disease. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this is America. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I felt like right when we were on the train, uh, my character is a big game hunter. He liked to be out in the woods by himself. But in order to drive the story along, I felt like I had to maybe get a little bit away from that because immediately Detective uh, Noir was a dick to Winky on the train. And I was like, okay, well, it's his <laughs> name is Leonard Winkler. No one will remember that, Dad. Winky. <laughs> I was a dick to him. He was being annoying. He was. You're absolutely right. And, and therefore you were dick to him. Yeah. <laughs> and because of that, I mean, I felt a little bad for the poor guy. No. Right? So... Uh, you know, it was like right away. It was a change. Yeah. yeah. Makeup. I think it was when um, Charity walked out the tavern and did like a double tap on that monster. It was like, all right, name of the game is survival. Which, which by the way, one of the most badass moments <laughs> of this entire campaign. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like walked yeah, out nonchalantly, okay. like, oh no, this is going down like bit. North Carolina. That's, <laughs> this this is getting down south now. Bang bang! Like it was it was brilliant. It's like boom. Nice to meet you all. <laughs> 
<laughs> Meanwhile, like the, the the police detective and the gigantic miner and the huntsman are sitting there like holding moons and like stunned at what's going on. And here comes itty bitty Charity Flanagan mm. with like, a little Derringer pistol. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think I held on to it longer than anybody else. Then because I was every time that I had motivation, I even turned to Charity that like in the last episode. And I'm like, all right, so. Things get weird. You and I are going to fuck off here so that you can invest my mining company in the future. Yeah. I know of these towns down in the south. and like, mm-hmm. um, So I was still I was still into it. Yeah, you were. Well, I feel like, because my character, all she was doing was uh, she's on her way to her first job, you know? And so, <laughs> and then she got railroaded by all this horror nonsense. So I think like the first five minutes when something raked her across the chest and almost like let her bleed out to death, she suddenly was just like... Well, shit, this is about survival. This has nothing to do with me getting to my job right now. No, so, my debts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, so, I think it was like almost immediately. She's like, I don't give a crap about getting to where I was supposed to be. I was like, I just need to survive and live. But I think that's the aspect of horror that really came out of it is that you kind of abandon a piece of that part of yourself so that you can actually survive. Mm. Yeah. I think mine was because I had every intention of going in with a really serious, dark, character killed his own son in the line of duty because law was more important yeah. than and you know his son was doing wrong yeah he was a small frenchman but he was going in with this sort of darkness and he, i want him to be taken seriously as a police officer and somebody who can rely on his first situation in the town was his boss not taking him seriously you won't be listened to and when i like tried to be a police officer nobody listened to me and I wasn't being taken seriously as a police yeah. officer. So in my mind, I went, well, fuck that then. I'm just going to go off the other end. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I did. Well, I, I wanted to add that little bit of tension for you uh, because I, I know you you lean heavily more into the role-playing side of the into the game. So I, I wanted to add that tension of you having to prove yourself to a certain amount. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I think, yeah. but Right? So- and like you were the big city detective coming to podunk nowhere where they have their own things and really the law is different in a podunk town in northern Yukon mm. than it will be in like downtown Montreal. Yeah, right? I was really going to lean into this guy's a 52-year-old veteran cop, military police, served in the Somme in World War One from Quebec City, been in the game for years, came in and that sheriff was like, no, shut up. And then so straight away I just decided, okay, I, I got to abandon this because it's not going to work yeah. for this mm. game. Um, well, Dan, what were your main sources of inspiration and what did you steal or adapt for this campaign? Okay, so um, this is a bit of a contentious issue with the person across the table from me. Um, because I I sat down and I wrote down the plot to the campaign and um, just to open up the curtain a little bit, I, I was like, it's a horror campaign, I need advice on how to do this, so I called Adam over. And I was like, okay, I know you're, you're going to be... You're a- the most horrifying person I know. I asked Adam over to take a look at the campaign, and he goes, oh, it's it's like Desperation from Stephen King. And I'm like, pardon? He's like, yeah, it's like Desperation. And I had no knowledge of Desperation. And Adam goes, one sec, I'm, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to give you a book. I'm like, okay, cool. So Adam came back the next day and handed me, a, what, it's 500 pages. Yeah. So it's, Stephen King. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a Stephen King mm-hmm. book. And I sat down and I read it, and it was beat for beat what I wanted to do for the campaign. And I'm like, come on. The so, good news is you're as brilliant as Stephen King is. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Tick, tick, tick. Oh, he's a smart man. Yeah, yeah, no, very smart man. Um, but I, I then took certain aspects and I leaned into it a little bit more with some things and then added others. Because uh, Stephen King's 
uh, vision of desperation with the mining town and everything being in the mine um, was kind of where I was going with this, except instead of uh, this old temple with like this uh, pit that goes into the nowhere, um, I, I wanted to have like an actual physical like more Indiana Jones and the temp uh, the uh, Temple of Doom kind of feel with like cultists ch chanting and holding up human hearts and stuff like that. So I, I wanted to go more in that direction, and then you guys didn't go in the fucking cave. Uh, so uh, thanks for that. Were there any other You're inspirations? Um, so I pulled a lot from Desperation. I pulled from um, uh, Walking Dead quite a lot as well. Uh, with that, uh, and I pulled from the thing, and then of course, because it is Call of Cthulhu, I pulled from Lovecraft, right? And uh, really, did it, uh, I kind of scattered out the elder gods in front of me and went, which one do I think would fit this whole theme of um, cultists trying to bring them into this area, uh, and a little bit of body horror, some uh, weird mind control worm eel thing like all of these little things that I wanted to do and I'm like well Nyarlathotep is like the, the master shadow the king of the worms uh, the the man in black like he is this character who is frequently in the mortal realms walking around corrupting and, and causing madness amongst populaces uh, and he likes targeting lower populist areas that are more uh um, removed and isolated to um, really pull apart and draw the insanity out of them. So, I, I feel like, was a perfect fit for this. I feel like you took the themes of Lovecraft and the plot from Desperation and the setting from the thing, and you mashed them all together. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, so, speaking of Lovecraft. Uh, Terry, you were one of the big driving forces behind uh, exploring the game, mostly because you, one, really like to be hurt in the games. You've said this over and over and over again. You wanted to be hurt. You wanted to be scared. You wanted to be... You wanted strapped to down and some stand furniture. Strapped down and, 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 and whipped. Uh, but Why do you always think <laughs> I'm the person to be strapped down and whipped? <laughs> because you say I'm the person to be strapped down and whipped. No, I tell you, I like emotional turmoil. Oh, no, we've decided, games. Terry. You don't have a choice. Yeah, anymore. you don't have a choice of this better. No, but also because Lovecraft... I don't build this body for somebody else to hold me down. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll leave it there. Uh, so Lovecraft's work interests you. Uh, no, so... One of the things I wanted to really do uh, for this is scratch that itch for you um, in this uh, Lovecraftian horror type campaign. So going into this, what were you looking for and do you feel like you explored that enough? Yeah, I feel, um, I, look for, I look for real emotion within the games. Mm -hmm. So I, actually don't enjoy those games too much where everybody's a mega superhero and everybody's always winning and huzzah we slayed through another 200 enemies and it's and there's no because i'm i get to the point like i said before I'm like, what are we doing we're just plowing through fields here there's no i never feel threatened i don't feel a real challenge if it's designed that i'm always going to win so this game made my character made me feel vulnerable in the sense that I really have to think how I'm going to overcome this challenge. Working with people who I haven't played too much with before, especially in a new system. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's like a chess game. You really have to think because that threat of death, that vulnerability is so 
real and that amps up the emotion, that amps up the horror. And that's what I got from this game was um, every single scenario, whether it be even if you're just looking around the corner, you can hear a noise. In D&D, everybody plows around with their staffs and their magic and their spell slots ready to go. But in this game, even how you do that is going to be critical, yeah. whether you live or die. One of my favorite moments with you was you all—you were all sitting in the um, Inuit village, discussing whether or not to cut off your ears. Mm. And that like 15-minute discussion between the five of you was intense because you guys were arguing whether or not this was something you even needed to do and why should we need to do it. And like you really got into it with your character, and you got pissed off and like. We're about to burn the village now. Like you just did not want to be there anymore. Yeah, and and uh, I just it, it makes me feel like I you achieved that a little bit with the campaign because of these weird body horror things you were constantly encountering and this constant weight of death over top of you. Um, and I mean, you didn't really have to deal with your sanity score very much. No, you? Like, no, there was there's one there's once or there's once or twice where it was just luck. I just passed the yeah one. yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that the, this idea of horror in this game works both ways. Yeah. So in D&D when you're presented with a situation like that, you're more likely to go through with it because it's likely that the, the individual that's presented with that situation is some sort of high-powered devil or wizard or essentially you're, you're pushed into having to make the decision that you don't want to make. Yeah. In this game, it was kind of even. Because this person was saying, I need you to do this. But my character was like, what about if I put a fucking bullet in your head? How yeah, about that? exactly. They're as vulnerable as you are. And so now you get those conversations become very real. And the, and the emotion is very raw. I don't feel like I'm being real-world and doing something I don't necessarily want to do. That's a really good point. There's no alignment in this. You're playing people. Yeah. Right? And so there's some gray area that you can... I'm not worried about, am I a good person at the end of this? Am no, I, it was survival. Am I chaotic? good right i don't give a shit in call of cthulhu i just need to live yeah it's exactly it's survival based yeah yeah um there was actually a funny thing that i wanted to do and and this is going to go back to your question as well while you guys were in the inuit village um i did want you to uh at one point trip balls in some way shape or form and i wanted to pull in your guys's backstories as realistic visions that you would experience, um, whether it be of Charity Flanagan's father and the intense man that he was, or uh, Gunn's ambiguous role in world, in the Great War. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, I, was, uh, I was thinking about that after. I should have just gone full German and been like, when Gertie came out, oh hey, what's what's going on, my people? <laughs> you know. But I think I tried to catch you out. Once, I like once or twice. To, you I tried to, to strip you up to see what language you've spoken in naturally. <laughs> um, and then, like uh, the big one that I kept on going back in my planning when I was trying to figure out how I would do this was making Detective Noir relive killing his son again. Yeah, and and go through that once or twice in different. And that ways. was just luck because I just kept passing my sanity. Yeah, rolls. and you just kept on passing your sanity rolls. I'm like, oh, I want to play with this so much, but. Uh, I guess if we do a longer form campaign, that would be... It would have come up. Oh, it would have come You're up not eventually. Gonna every role. Um, also, when you play a longer form campaign, the, the um, you really start to pl- dig deep into the mechanics of the system and whatnot. So I just want to ask everybody, what like what what was your favorite mecha- uh, mechanic for Call of Cthulhu and why? I would say like the only one that I actually really enjoyed and I felt was necessary was luck. 
Yeah. Like, I felt that was because you had to actually kind of spend it appropriately or not spend it or utilize it in a way to make sure things get pushed or rolled. So, like, if you really wanted something to succeed, we had the power as players to make it happen as opposed to begging the DM or the GM yeah. to make it happen for us. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of ways through expendable resources to force success in the game. Um, but if you run out of it, you run out of it and then you're up. Yeah, when you're, so you do have to monetize it yourself. Like you have yeah. to utilize what's more important to you as a character versus yeah. something else, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Terry? I won't say a specific mechanic, like, well, no, it is, I guess, is that the system which is used, the percentile dice system, because like Adam was talking about earlier, you already know whether or not you've succeeded, and I think it makes a much faster gameplay. Um, because we know straight away, boom, 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 you're going for the same number every time whenever you're trying to hit the specific thing. And it also means that you have more um, agency into where you pump things into for how successful you want to be in a particular thing. Yeah. So I actually prefer this system. Oh, wow. For faster, yeah, for, for faster gameplay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like, I'm going to go with that as well, the percentage system, but it's a, for a different reason. I like the fact that no matter how good you are at something, you still have at at your very best day a ten percent chance to fuck it up. Yeah, like you still have the opportunity to do poorly. We don't have the advantage or disadvantage system in this, but we do have. Well, now you have to hit a hard success, which is upsetting. That is, uh, there's more than once where I went, "Do I push this? Do I try again?" Because what if I don't get it? What are the consequences? And it became it gets worse, right? Yeah, and it became more real. And I'm starting to think now that if I'm giving you advantage in D and D in fifth edition, and you still fail, I'm going to hit you harder with the consequences of that now. Yeah, like I've I've learned that from from Call of Cthulhu, and I I really like that the different varying degrees of failure or success. Yeah, Dave, uh, I like the sanity mechanic. Uh, I know Adam, you've used it before in. D and D, yeah, yeah. But uh, in this, it, it really felt like uh, at the end when I was seeing Germans everywhere and so on, it really forced a little more background to my character and made me appreciate who he was. Uh, this, like we've said, this game is very roleplay heavy, uh, and that's not what I'm used to. And I really liked that about it. Yeah. It just it, it just gave my character more depth and allowed me to really get into who he is and you know make a decision from his point of view not mine it kind of comfortably pushes character development yeah as well you don't feel like it's being forced because dan never really never really maybe a little bit in description but never really told us how to feel or how to act just more what was happening and then the character development came and how we decided we would react to that situation you know, he might say, you feel cold or something, but no, you have to do this yeah. based on the sanity rule. Yeah, I mean, after my, my 3.5 um, sessions, I normally sit there, I'm like, oh, my DM did this, my DM did that. And this time I would go home afterwards and be like, oh, well, I should have done this, I should have done that. And yeah. it kind of just gave me a little more control over yeah. what I was doing. Yeah, Mika? Um, could I say, like, persuasion was my favorite mechanic, or is that not a mechanic? <laughs> well, it, it, it plays different than in 5th, right? Like, you've got your experience in 5th now, and then mm-hmm. persuasion in this plays a lot different than persuasion did in 5th. In so, yeah. Um, which one do you like better, I guess? Um, Cause I like, guess... I like this better. Yeah. Only because I put a lot of points into it, and I think it saved the party a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like throughout the entire. What did you game. say, Charity? 
And what it really reinforced the fact that you had, uh, you guys had your speaking person in the party, you had your high charisma character in the party, but really Rip was doing just as much talking as Charity was. It just, when something really needed to be negotiated, that's when they called Charity in. Yep. Um, so I do want to ask a real quick question, more towards Adam here than anything else. Uh, with all these mechanics and, and, and whatnot, and the fact that, Adam, you're typically a DM. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time since you've been a player, let alone a player in a very tight and focused campaign. Um, how was that experience, especially for someone who, like most people at the table, were just learning the rules for the first time? Um, it made me stop and think. I, I think it's good for anybody who's getting complacent with the rule system that they're already in to try a new a new system because I more than once Dan how many times did I turn to you even in the character creation process and go no that's not how it works it works like this right and I was I'm not used to being confused on the rules yeah right I'm not used to having to react to what other people are doing I know when I'm sitting around a fifth ed table I got a ranger I know what that ranger's gonna do I got a, a cleric, I know what the cleric's gonna do. And now I'm sitting here with the nurse, and I have no idea, what can the nurse do? I'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the thing is, like, the, the character classes in this are just occupations. Yeah. They're just jobs, like, they're- They're backgrounds. They're backgrounds. They're, they're nothing more than, like, a fifth edition background. So, I don't know, I thought that I, look, I had a lot of fun being a player, more than once, honestly, more than once I sat back and went, well, I would've done that differently. For, for you as, as the keeper, but I'm also sitting here going, guys, why are you shooting? You should be running while I do this. And and Mieka, for fuck's sakes, push that roll, right? And I'm like, and I'm sitting here, I don't have enough to do as a, as a player. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, I'm antsy, let's all fucking do shit. Yeah. Let's move forward. And there's a lot of sitting passively for me, which I'm not used to, mm -hmm. um, especially because I want clarity on the rules. Yeah, right? fair enough. And so... I don't know, this was, this was a challenge for me to sit back and not... Like you said, you know, everybody's talking and Rip's doing a lot of talking. And my character was intelligent. Um, it, it was one of his higher stats. And he was educated. It was one of his higher stats. So he can talk. But I put nothing into persuasion or fast talk. Or charm. Or charm. I didn't put any stats in any of these. Um, and because I wasn't expecting to use it. I was expecting to be Chewbacca. I was going to sit in the back and grunt. Right, and then every once in a while I'm like, okay, no, we need to go over here. We got to do this because we got to. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, and I think I actually I feel like maybe that was kind of the panic of the of the Call of Cthulhu system, as well. Yeah, the, the tension made you uh, force your hand as a player a little bit more. Yeah, and more than once we would sit down and be like, okay, guys, what's the plan? What are we doing next? And we would have a five minute conversation that would be thirty seconds in the game, and you're like, nope, time's up, move on. And I'm just like, what? Being on the other side of the table is is different. Yeah. It's yeah. good to be reminded of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, Mieka, we, we talked briefly uh, earlier about 5th edition compared to this, and you being completely new in every... which um, the tabletop as a whole. Um, I did want to ask, though, in what ways are these different in, in your mind as a new player going into this? What ways are these different, and what's your favorite difference? between the two because now you're new you've got a fresh eyes on both systems 
Um, I really like how in um, 5th edition, I didn't have to like spend um, two hours doing math. <laughs> to build the character? Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed 100%. I mean, like, there's a little math, but it's not like how this was. Um, and what else did you ask? Like, what what was your favorite difference? Uh, so character creation in 5th mm-hmm. edition is a lot more streamlined, mm-hmm. a lot easier to get through. Um, what was your favorite part of Call of Cthulhu that you think does better than 5th? Um, I don't, I don't know. To... I would say they're pretty equal for me. I've only been playing like 5th edition for like a few weeks. So, and I've only been playing this for a few weeks, so I'm not, I don't know, I don't know. (laughs) It's like two different uh, good cakes, but like one's more, like uh, one's chocolate, one's vanilla. They're both good, but Mm -hmm. they're they're noticeably different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. You regrettably sure. Regrettably sure. <laughs> <laughs> he said, sure, I'm fine. Like, I feel like I should entertain this, but I really want to. Okay, you've DM'd D&D for, for years, but this is the first time you did Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. So what did you find was um, your, your biggest regret when DMing, or the biggest thing that you learned, um, and what do you think you failed at the most? Uh, so when we sat down and figured out that we we're going to do this Call of Cthulhu thing, I was like, yeah, no, I'll run it because I've got experience playing Call of Cthulhu. Um, I don't even remember what edition Call of Cthulhu I played, but it certainly wasn't seventh. So uh, we discussed, you know, we're going to play this uh, in a couple months. Well, Dan, you got lots of time to prep um, and get going. And my life is a fairly hectic one. So uh, getting a, oh, you've got three months to do the prep meant sweet. I've got two months to not even remotely think about it and then start prepping at that point. So I think one of the big ways I failed was I crammed the rule set. I crammed uh, all of that really a month, which is more than I usually do for a typical D&D campaign. Let's get this out there. I, because of my knowledge of D&D and everything else, I'm, I'm far more able to just wing it um, but with this, I know I needed to. And then we got to like the month before and I was like, oh crap, I don't even know how to roll characters or, um, I didn't know the details of the system. So I crammed it all. So I think one of my biggest failures is because anyone who has done any sort of college education will honestly say, if you're cramming, you're going to be forgetting things, right? Like it's not the best way to study. Don't study that way. You want to slowly build up that knowledge base. So... Um, there were a couple rules that I got wrong right off the bat and then like three episodes in I'm like oh we're doing that wrong and then uh, adjusted Um, but I think my biggest regret for uh, the campaign was the fact that I didn't really give it a lot of the front end that I really needed to um, in terms of prepping to session zero after session zero I didn't dive into your guys' backgrounds enough I didn't dive into uh, like we at the very last episode, we mentioned uh, Dave's experience with uh, after he lost his mind, and there was a little thing before where you guys heard like I think you had a bout of insanity where you were hearing gunfire and it sounded like yeah. a song, yeah. right? Like there was uh, there was those kind of things, but it wasn't sufficient enough, right? Uh, so I say I would. If I was to run this differently this time, I would definitely, we would have a session where we built characters, built backstories and everything else, and then everybody go away for a couple weeks while I just prep based off your backstories. 
right? And, and throw in encounters based off your backstories. I think those are the biggest things I think I failed the hardest at and would do differently in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of going temporarily insane, uh, Dave, Terry, Adam, what was the experience like? Dave, we'll do you last because you had the more deepest dive into this. Um, I think for me, like I said to Dave earlier, it just encouraged your character development and encouraged roleplay a little bit more. Um, I enjoyed it, obviously, because we always talk about how much I like emotional trauma within the game. And I think it it changes the, the, the battlefield, so to speak, or, or the field of play very dramatically because it can go very wrong very quickly. And we saw with, uh, with Dave's character when his character went insane and part of that insanity was he basically had to just shoot anything that was closest to him any any character and we saw how quickly that went wrong with megan's character yeah but there's any number of different things that can happen so it, honestly it, it gives go- more stress yeah. to the game it going wrong with megan's character was like the third worry i had about that the second i, I rolled up randomly what his insanity would do because you guys were walking back from the yeah, he just storehouse he just with a barrel full of oil and a pocket full of dynamite like i was like yeah. he's going to straight up incinerate and blow to like he's going to gib rip and uh noir the tech noir set off a big signal that you guys are getting ready to go for the cultists like this could go bad Real quick. I could have been the big bad evil guy. You could have been. You really, you really could. Adam? I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Okay, let, let me start off. Okay, I love the sanity mechanic. I think it's a lot of fun, um, especially from the DM side. I like it better than the sanity mechanic that exists as an option in the DMG for 5th Ed. Um, however, I absolutely hate being a player without agency. I think that's true of any time you get charmed or mind-controlled in any role-playing game where you're like, oh, you know what? I have no control over my action. I'm sorry as I fucking murder you, right? And there's nothing you can do about it. In D&D, I'm laughing about it because you still have three death saves and someone else got a health potion. There's a cleric in the back who's just running up. He'll be here in two rounds. This is fine. I'm going to lop your leg off. It'll be okay. However, in Call of Cthulhu, you have... The person beside me is my ally. They have six points left, six hit points left, and I'm wielding a chain flail. This is going to go poorly, and they're going to die. And I'm sitting there going, "Okay, I'm scrambling now. What what do I do to not murder them? Can I can I hit the objects around me instead? Can I do that? Uh, can I uh, can I push even on a success to try to have to hit a hard success? What mechanic can I do? Can I spend luck to miss?" What can I do to not murder somebody else? Yeah. Who did I end up hitting? Was it... I was in the the general store early on when I went insane. Uh, that was... I think I was with you. That was yeah, the first well, yeah, yeah, and I was attacking you, right? And you managed to bail out yeah. and get far enough away. And I just continued to rage because it said attacking everything nearby. And it didn't say everyone nearby. And I went, oh, thank God, I'm going to smash the shelves, right? But then it said everyone nearby. And I'm hunting gun down through the store. Right, uh, uh, it's great from a storytelling perspective, from a DM perspective. For me, I hated it. In the moment, my skin was crawling. I didn't like it. I, yeah. So, I, so it's effective. Is my point? Like, yeah. Cool. It is good. I hated it, and that is good. <laughs> so, Dave, because uh, I gotta say, just props to you. You, 
I gave you this situation that was going on in your head and like your posture changed at the table and you're like, okay, so I'm back in war now and you rolled with it and you, you really embraced the insanity and props to you for really doing that deep dive. As someone who has, it's that confessed to be someone who doesn't role play very well, you did great there, bud. Well, thank you. Um, I also hated it. <laughs> uh, it's funny the things that Terry Adams said I mean that's pretty much what I had written down uh, I hated it but it doesn't mean that I didn't like it uh, and uh, uh, <laughs> that is precisely what that means <laughs> I, I, no <laughs> you'll understand one day dad um, when you're older uh, but, it, but it also felt like it gave me a little more depth it, it allowed me to really explore that character a little bit more uh, is it something I would rush to do again I mean, not willingly, no. but, uh, you know, it, it really... Well, you don't like being the per the person solely responsible for the first player character death? Uh, actually, you know what? I kind of do. Um, I... Hello, I... <laughs> <laughs> Satan. And I envy you. <laughs> it, it's neat. Uh, I, I just said it a minute ago, like, I could have been the big bad evil guy. I could have killed both of them and Gertie and been gone downstairs and be like, oh, Charity, the... The cultists must have gotten, you know, or the, the allies came and, and she'd have been like, what the hell's going on? It, it really could have changed the entire outcome of what was going on. I could have been the only one that walked out of there. And still thinking that the, you know, your entire party are either Germans or allies or whatever it is. Um, on top of that, right? Were my allies. Maybe the Germans I mean, were your allies. <laughs> I still want a definitive. I, I figured that because you went crazy and started seeing Germans everywhere, they were the bad guys. They were. I mean, I, I kind of played it off a little bit, but right in my backstory under traits, it does say Allied Spy in yeah. Great War. So I did try to kind of stay true to that. Although there were, there are times now that I wish I could go back and maybe play it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. But uh, you would not have shot Gertie in the chest. No, I probably would have shot Gertie in the chest. Okay. Like, How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> dodge better. The, the one thing I'll say is... <laughs> Let's talk about dodge. <laughs> dodge bullets better. The, the, the one thing I'll say about Sanity... Um, and uh, Sorry, Dave, I peeked over your shoulder and read your note. And it, Dave says, it, it makes it so you're not just another pretty face. Right? So everybody's insanity is geared towards their character. It is radically different for everybody. That's unique to Call of Cthulhu that I've seen, and I really, I think that's that's a success. Cool, awesome. Um, I did want to ask. We've we've hit it over and over and over again, Dave. Uh, you straight up killed Gertie. You are responsible for that first uh, player character death. Um, have you ever experienced that in any other game where you are the person killing another person around the table? And what was that experience like for you? Uh. I mean, most of my background, like you said, is 3.5, and I've DM'd 99.9% .9 of that. So, killing other players at the table... Not a problem. Sure. No, it doesn't bother me at all. Just another Thursday. Uh, although, I gotta say, it really felt like the players, and not just the characters, were looking at me different afterwards. I got that, like, side-eye from, I think, Terry especially. Side-eye? Yeah, just the... the, the I, th else? I felt like we became closer. What's... <laughs> <laughs> In my mind, I went... You can trust this one. <laughs> yes, he As he stands over the smoking hole in Gertie's chest. Yes, this one will serve as well. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> but I know it, it, it was it was interesting because it, it caused me to stop and be unsure of everything that was going on around me. Uh, and it really sidelined my character without doing any physical damage. Uh, it, it took me... You know, once once I came back and realized, you know, what gun 
when Gunn realized what he had done, he went back and he sat in the corner and he went outside by himself and he he removed himself from everybody else and I really didn't do much after that. Yeah. And I, I think that was really what my character would have done. But, uh, you know, it was... It, yeah, just cool. another day, I guess. I, can yeah. I add on to that? Just like, if you had to play the game longer, because that was kind of like the last episode, do mm-hmm. you feel like your character would have come out of that or do you feel like you would have been a step back character after that? No, that would have been a big deal. Yeah. Uh, that would have been a defining... Um, trait, trait probably yeah. added to the sheet afterwards. Uh, you know, it's not something you. That's Move not just another easy. day. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, Megan, you spent a lot of time. Like you died at the end, like near the middle of one of the last episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you came in late to the um, to the game with a couple sessions late in fact like you were unavailable for the first few and you came uh, later and joined the campaign late yep. um, you spent a lot of time just sitting and listening to everybody um, were you able to stay engaged and if yes how <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple pieces of this question for me um, a lot of it kind of stems down to the way my character was built coming into a new type of gameplay um, especially coming into a game that is roleplay heavy for someone who's not really big in the roleplay aspect and also trying to play a character that was a non-combatant who's used to playing combat characters um, so I feel like the couple of things that led into her being a backseat character is a a nurse kind of feels like a support character to begin with she's You're not, reactionary I'm You're reactionary I'm you know what I mean? Like that's kind of like her role is she kind of responds to what's happening in the room, not necessarily being the driver. I'm not going to see a 22-year-old nurse running out there with a hatchet, which maybe she could have, but that's, that's anyways, that's how I kind of like the shotgun to Shotgun in my it. experience, but sure. Yeah, that's I want to see that movie. <laughs> right? Um, but um, so, and then again, it was the preparedness too. So I kind of rushed my character development a little bit. So again, I started the game without items. I started the game without a couple of pieces that I felt I could have used to be more creative yeah. in my character gameplay. Um, and then the mechanics killed me. Um, emotionally as a person and as a character. Um, The percentile, I will be the devil's advocate. I did not like the percentile system. The main reason being um, the fact that you guys are speaking to it being a good thing that there was that level of fluctuation between being able to be successful in things and fail at things. I felt it sucked being a nurse, which is my occupation, and being a worse healer than a few people at the table because they rolled better than I did. Mm -hmm. So that kind of as being that being my thing kind of was like, well, shit. I'm, if I'm not rolling well at this and like the person next to me who doesn't know how to heal people is healing pe- people better than I am, it was kind of demoralizing and a little bit more deflating as a character. Mm-hmm. So I felt it difficult to get into my role because I couldn't roll well. Yeah, and you were dealing with some seriously bad dice luck as well, yeah. right? So, and but then at the same time, I kind of wanted to use this question to flip this and give a shout out to my introvert fellow D&D and roleplay game players is when you go into a game that is roleplay heavy, there are some things that you can kind of do to kind of keep yourself engaged. And that's kind of, I try to utilize them on a regular basis, even though I'm sometimes successful and sometimes not, but find a player at the table that is stronger than you and almost attach yourself to them in some way, shape or form. Um, I know some people may agree or not agree with that, but having a partner at the table helps you stay engaged with what their character is doing and helps your character build a little bit of almost a backbone when it comes to making decisions at the table as a group, um, as well as things like encourage other people with their choices that they're making. So I do find for myself, I love when someone's doing something that they're really engaged in, I will be excited and help them describe what's going on just because I want them to feel
feel like what they're doing is important to the table as well. Um, and then just remember it is about having fun. So at the end of the day, even if you are a character who's a support character or a backseat character, or if you're not a strong role player, you're still important to the game and everybody's here to have fun. So just kind of get creative with what you can mm -hmm. and what's at your disposal. But I feel like the mechanics at the beginning of the game is really what killed being a nurse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's got to be true for you as well as a big game hunter, right? In the end, I was stealthier than you, and Charity it was a better shot. Yeah, you were the third best shot at the table. Yeah, I Megan's giving great advice, and Dave's just like, no, 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 no I'm gonna no. shoot you in the chest. Yeah, that was great. I didn't even realize you were doing it, but I mean, we got to the point where it was rip and gun and Gertie too. Like, yeah. you really, <laughs> yeah. When you said yeah. that, I was like, you do do that. I do yeah. do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think even Terry said it at one point during the game. Like, well, I went two sessions with. Bumping up any of my stats. Yeah. So I had no stats at 90 by the time we were at the end, where some characters yeah, had yeah, stats yeah. at a 90 and thought, yeah. what do I do if I roll above? And I'm like, okay, I'm still at like 60. I don't know what you guys are doing. Yeah. See, to be completely honest, the improvement uh, system in this game is one of my least, as the keeper, as everything else, is one of my least favorite systems in this game. Well, you're improving things you don't want to improve it. Because you you're, one, you're improving things that you. I mean, you use once and you're improving. Like, I understand the, the mindset behind it, but um, it is far too easy to just start pumping your sanity if someone um, rolls, like, two or three lucky rolls, right? Now, in typical Call of Cthulhu, this game is supposed to be months upon months upon months between improvements, whereas we were doing it pretty much at the end of every session, every session right? Um, which was more just to help facilitate uh, the game growing. The improvement system is one of my least favorite mechanics around the table, guys. Like, clearly the percentile system. Not high on your list of things that you're a fan of, but around the table, everybody, what's your least favorite mechanic that you had to deal with here? Dodge. Dodge. <laughs> throw. Oh. Fucking, fucking throw. <laughs> fucking fight back, I thought was bullshit. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. <laughs> I know, I want to hear what Terry's. Fight back, I think, with bullshit because I think it's missing a step. It, okay, we go initiative, it's dexterity. Mechanically, it is my turn. I am attacking you because mechanically I get to go first. Nope, this person automatically gets to try and hit you. I think it should be a dexterity roll. If they pass that dexterity roll, then they can try and hit you. It shouldn't be a matter of, it's your turn, but this person gets to hit you. Um. The, the main thing about the fight back system, as I understand it, is that you are doing a uh, comparative role at this point, right? And you, the person with the higher level of success is going to be the one that succeeds, right? But then what is the point in me having a high dexterity, so essentially being quicker off the mark, if they automatically fair point. get to hit me first? Fair point. Well, I guess... All right, and so It's also based off the number of attacks they have. Like, the first guy... The first fight you guys had was with the geologist Ryan and he was statted up like a ghoul in uh, Call of Cthulhu. So ghouls have three attacks mm -hmm. which means if you shoot him and you are within a point blank range with your gun which is what you tried to do um, he gets a um, attack back and then if Adam on his turn did the same thing he would get another attack. If you did the multi-shot thing you do with your gun, like offload, uh, he would get an, 
fight back every single attack until he hit his three attack limit. And then when it gets to his turn, he gets to do his three attacks and then he has this pool of three responses to do, right? It's it's like a attack opportunity system gone haywire. Yeah, I think but, there needs to be a dexterity roll to see if he is fast enough to achieve that. But no, you see, I, I'm okay with it because it encourages the paranoia of get back. The idea that we are point blank shooting in the first place is ridiculous to me. So, yeah, but it's not realistic though. Bang, bang, bang. That's how that's how easy it is. You should have to do a dexterity roll to see if you're able to avoid that to hit me. I, uh, I'm not sure that the three in a row equals three attack backs. Are we sure on that? Yeah, really? Holy shit. But the, uh, look, I think it comes down to the fact that we're dealing with, it's partly percentile, partly the dodge, partly, it all breaks down to the basic idea that you are only, you can choose, you can be really fucking good at six things, or you could be kind of shit mm. at everything. And there's really not a whole bunch of give and take on that. Yeah. And I wonder if you were to play a long, long, spread out game on this, if you would have people uh, rolling to see only when it requires a roll. You wrestle to hit him. You don't have to write a full uh, fight brawl. What's your strength? What's his strength? Yeah, you're a size category bigger? Absolutely. Like, you've got a combat uh, category higher? Yeah, you can wrestle him. There's no role involved in that. When you want to do damage and knock him out, make a roll. There is, right? a, there is a lot of givens. Uh, in this, combat is also supposed to be quick and deadly. Right? Yeah. Like, that's one of the reasons why the fight back mechanics in there. I, I feel like I'm not one of the guys who wrote Call of Cthulhu, so I can't uh, speak to them, but... One of the feelings that I've gotten with my reading online is that... The fight back thing is there to discourage combat. Combat is not supposed to be something that is run to. We ran a game, lot right? of combat. And we ran a lot of combat that we did not need to run um, because this, this, the system's not really bent toward it. Like, combat's there because it's a necessity. You need to have combat. But this is mainly an investigation and mystery solving game, right? It's not, it is st sitting around a uh, table in a dark room with uh, newspaper clippings strewn out about you trying to put together a puzzle. There wasn't a lot of that in this. Uh, it was a lot of combat, and you guys just trying to survive through cultists. That's strange. I thought that we actually avoided a lot of combat by just blowing everything up. You Yes, but dynamite's not the answer. At least it <laughs> I mean, it was. <laughs> right, but the problem, and, but here's what it comes down to. If you don't have uh, charity, what, okay, Miega, what does charity have into stealth right now? Um, uh, at the end of the game. 20. 20. Which means she's got a 4 and 5 chance of failing that immediately. But I don't think that she needs to tiptoe. And this is how I would run it. Same way with throwing the dynamite into the church. It, the hole is in front of you. You can put your hand on it. Just throw it. There's no roll involved. There's no roll for tiptoeing down a hallway. There's only a roll if someone is actively looking for you. Hmm. Or if you're trying to get it, like, uh, shoot a basketball, right, for throw. Yeah. That's when I think that these roles would come into play. And I think you're right, Dan, that it's not just that combat is is less of a factor than the way that we ran it, but I think that roles technically are less than a factor as well. And that's one of the things that I would take away moving forward was I would have fewer roles and just say, yes, you succeed most of the time. You don't have to roll to persuade someone unless they actively decide they don't want to listen to you. Like now, Bernie across the street? Yeah, like selling Bernie across the street. Yeah, that was that required a persuasion roll. But walking to me like, hey, look, we, we need your help or... or can you tell me where the where the canned goods are in the grocery store? For an example, it didn't happen. 
I shouldn't roll a persuasion on that, right? Yeah, that should just that just fucking happen, right? So I think that maybe that's why we hurt so badly in this was because we were trying to do things that we weren't good at. Yeah. A lot of the time. And so people were then just relying on what they were good at. And so if I know that I have an 85 in stealth, I will do all of the stealth missions. And that's what Rip was doing. He's running around like an action hero at the end because I could fight and I could run and I could hit. Yeah, you know? this game almost kind of encourages min-maxing. I yeah. think because yeah. even when I was the mistake I made is I spread my stuff too thin like if I was going to replay this game every character would be different but this character would be good at driving shooting both types of weapons and maybe stealthy but uh, but okay let's look at the drive mechanic so here's my point drive auto raise your hand around the table if you can drive a car right that's all of us Every one of us here has a license and can drive. Nobody, nobody rolls. Yeah, nobody puts their hands up. <laughs> no, it would be like if you're in a chase or something. If you're, or if you're in obstacles. a chase, right, yeah. And so I think that <laughs> I think that moving forward, the skill base would be only for the necessities. And, and that, that's that's the way it is played, but at the same time, I did want to... Uh, you wanted to showcase the gaming system. I wanted to showcase the gaming system a little bit, and we had... Uh, Anywhere between eight and ten sessions to. Oh, I'm not being critical of the way that you ran. No, 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 no. I, I know that, but like, the way the game is supposed to be played is like more long-term, uh, long-form storytelling with very limited, uh, like, chance thrown in. Like the way you're saying it should be run is the way it should be run. You're right. That 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 is actually the way it should be run. It's just um, because we had such a short form of a campaign. I want yeah. to push things along, right? I just feel and like... And I was an idiot that handed you a, a dozen sticks of dynamite right away, and that <laughs> was just your guys' solution to everything. I feel like it saved our lives. And by oh, our lives, I mean yeah. not... Molotov. No, 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 no. It, it, it also cost you guys quite a bit. Do we Molotov? Do Did we it? dynamite? Yes. What are we thinking? What? Uh, you guys... Uh, killed several survivors that you did not even know were there when you blew up a couple buildings. Oh, uh, the church. Uh, yeah, the church. Uh, they were gone. Uh, well, we didn't not even survivors you didn't know were there. You knew the survivors were in the church and you blew them up anyways. They were done already. Um, there there was a couple things like that. Uh, the... Um, there were more survivors inside of uh, Li Feng uh, laundromat. There was a family of survivors that were in there. Yeah, but they shot at us. Uh, no, no. The the crazy, having suffered insanity uh, priest started shooting at you guys. You guys never investigated and then threw a Molotov in the alley and burned it down. Um, well, I mean, they're fire exits, right? Though That family could have gotten out. Yeah, uh, yeah but... <laughs> <laughs> not the point. Not the point. <laughs> anyway, start shoveling snow on top of it. Right. And there were there were a couple things there that were um I should not have given you guys that much dynamite. It's <laughs> just straight up that was like the big thing. We get to the end of the one session and I walked upstairs to my wife and she's like, How did it go? And I'm like, I gave him dynamite. I don't know why I gave him dynamite, but I gave him dynamite. So now they have dynamite. I, I have like a question you... about the dynamite. Yeah. Why was the mega delicate dynamite just sat in the museum? Uh it so when I was planning the campaign, I wanted to have like a couple little things. I expected someone in the very first session to like, well, let's do a tour of the town and try to figure out what, you know, get our feet under us for the town. But things kind of went off the way they typically do and no one did that. And I wanted to have the mega delicate, like I think it was three or two sticks of dynamite yeah. that were inside to showcase what kind of tools they used, right? 
So it was supposed to be like high security, and then you guys just broke through it real easy, grabbed the two sticks of dynamite, and those were that was going to be the stash of dynamite. Mm-hmm. Like I, two sticks, I'm like, yeah, it's a horror game. You guys would have to really pick and choose when you're going to use these two sticks of dynamite. Um, no, and, bitch, I got twelve. And and then and then you guys went to a mine, and yeah. and it, I had not planned on there being dynamite at the mine, but you guys went up to the mine, and I think. Adam specifically asked, is there dynamite? And I made the call of, well, it's a fucking mine. So yes, there's dynamite. How much? And then I rolled it and I rolled 12 sticks. Yes. I feel like you could have like added your own awesome. like mechanic almost to say whether the probability of the dynamite going off. Because the way we held it was we put the dynamite in a jar of snow. So now it's getting wet. The dynamite is wet. So I feel like you can almost- But you're in the, you're in the Arctic. In the winter months. I guess so. So, like, your snow is... I feel if you wanted to control it, you could have. Yeah, I could have. Um, there's also, how are you just carrying around 12 jars with this without them Carefully. Snacking, right? And then you went on a massive chase, running away from wolves with these things clinking around in the back of your backpack. And I just, because I was trying to run the chase and do the chase effectively... I'm going to point out the giant shadow man. You're thinking about this shit too hard. Yeah, probably. I, I think at some point you just have to suspend your disbelief with it. Yep. And that's that's my answer to, to all of that. At some point, but there are some points where things got too realistic. Oh, I'm running away. The dynamite is not in a small room. There's not going to be a giant concussive blast. It's not it's not pointed in, in like at the open doorway. And yet I'm taking fucking rock damage because this shit blew up 400 feet behind me. Right? A little bit too real when then later we're blowing up buildings and nobody's rolling any dodge mechanics for it. And then later we are rolling dodge mechanics. And yeah. and this is not meant to be a criticism. It is just in Call of Cthulhu, I feel like there are some times when you don't need to make rolls. And I think we rolled a lot when we didn't need to and failed as a result. Um, and But like Terry said, it encourages you to min-max to only attempt the things that you are already good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely a system that is built toward a longer form campaign, longer form storytelling arc. So if you um, use like library use as a skill that none of us ever tried, I don't think, right? So if oh hey, it's a skill. Yeah. 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 But but if you use library use and you get good at it, you might go up by two points in the next five months. Yeah. That's what it should be. Whereas you guys were going up by like ten points every night. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why it, it scaled so ridiculously. Yeah. Uh, so, Dan, what was the hardest part about running a horror campaign with gory content only to be interrupted by players goofing off or pulling back out of the scene? Maintaining atmosphere. It was real. like, I understand that, like, goofing off and having the giggles and doing that kind of stuff can be a bit of a defensive mechanism. Like, I can't handle this right now. I need to make a joke. I'm definitely guilty of that in my real life so i understand that but when i'm trying to kind of put this weight on your guys's shoulders of things are going weird not just bad but weird um it really pulled away when all of a sudden you guys throw on your aviator glasses and rip and gun gun and rip like it it really threw how me did it howl dan hmm? how did it howl? yeah right yeah. Like, get over it. I say Beowulf Howl a lot. I also say in a heap a lot. It just, get, move on. Viscera. <laughs> and Viscera. Viscera. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. So those were the those were the hardest 
things to do when it came to maintaining atmosphere is when you guys wanted to have a laugh or something I did trying to pull you guys back in like I I was thankful that I got to use the Ravens a little bit more to like if you guys were goofing off for too long I would make one of you notice a Raven and that would pull you back in um, but that's good tool yeah so I, I I just had a couple things narratively that I could pull on to bring you back in like well use the howls as well right yeah and that, that was another one yeah there, there are a couple of those as well so um, those were the things I did uh, Adam you've run campaigns uh, with inspiration dice and optional sanity stats in in D&D 5e um, how do you think the luck and sanity compare I like the sanity in this better the sanity in D&D is is an optional rule and it's messy and they're not clearly defined like they're it is clearly defined but it doesn't actually apply to the gameplay um this very much does and i think it's really good because it makes everybody feel unique instead of oh you end up really super liking fruit or some bullshit that that's in the fucking dungeon master's guide or an online 100 different sanity uh, outcomes right that you find in a table um on reddit or wherever this actually makes sense it matters and it's specific to your character and i really like that as far as the uh, but i like the inspiration dice better than i like luck i love that you can spend it it's the same thing but i hate that you can't earn it right and that i felt really hurt us because we got down to the end and we knew we only had a couple of sessions left and people were just like fuck it i'm gonna blow 30 at once right and yeah. because we knew that we would do that but other than other than that we were holding on to it we were so yeah, you guys were really miserly with it at the very start of the campaign i don't think anyone spent a luck point for the first five sessions uh yeah, yeah I, I feel like i did yeah I, I spent a couple but it was you're right it was like one or two off so you would use it yeah, yeah and i think that's what you're supposed to use it for when you do occasional rolls. So here we are, we're back at, at this again, right? So, um, but I like Inspiration Dice better because it adds, it adds a randomness to it. Um, so, but, well, uh, but I don't think it's bad. I Like, it's better than, it's better than the Lucky Feet in 5th edition, I'll tell you that much. That's, that's true. Um, but like, it, it, my problem with Inspiration Dice is they're, they're another resource you have to manage. They're another, like... What, what the fuck do you think luck is? Well, it's literally got freaking... Yes, but but it's it's far more... My problem with Inspiration Dice is, at least the way that we've run it in our groups before, and the way I've, I've seen it run in other groups, is it's almost given out too freely. Um, it's, it's... You get this very large pool of Inspiration Dice that you suddenly blow on the big bad evil guy encounter, and then everyone's back down to nothing but your superheroes in that encounter, and then you build it back up. Whereas luck is you use it, it's done. It's a resource, but it's very more, it's very much more strictly moderated. But because, I, because I think it comes down to the nature of the of the mechanics of the campaign, though. In fifth edition, Dungeons and Dragons, you're supposed to be superheroes by yeah. level six. You're goddamn gods by level fifty, right? By the time that you are in the session forty-five in Call of Cthulhu, the only thing that's different is now you have phobias and scars, <laughs> right? So um, that's uh, considering the difference there. Inspiration dice being handed out in fifth edition, I like it because you can reward people for role playing in a system that is combat heavy. Whereas in Call of Cthulhu, you're spending luck on combat in a system that's role play heavy, yeah. right? And I feel like that's the big difference. So fair enough. And and there's no 
really good way to level or regain it as well. Like it, it I, 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 I'm with you. I understand that. Um, Terry, mm-hmm. um, we've mentioned resource management a little bit here, and uh, there's a lot of it in Call of Cthulhu, including ammo. And I think you were one of the guys that was really strict on your ammo, and you started boiling down near the end of the campaign. You only had a couple shots yeah. left, um, but there's. Amos, uh, your NPCs that you had that you guys were managing as well, uh, the other survivors, um, and yet there's no leveling at all. So what, in your opinion, it, uh, was it like to play in that kind of system where there's a lot of resource management, but no leveling, Yeah, really? I mean, for items and ammo, I mean, ammo is, plays a much more critical role in Call of Cthulhu than, uh, than D&D. Can anyone remember the last time they encountered their crossbow bolts? All their arrows, nobody gives a shit, right? <laughs> yeah, not after level two. Exactly. You have brought enough with you, but in Call of Cthulhu, it's it's critical. But there's a trust that works both ways with this. So that this is where the realism comes in. So, and you said earlier about the dynamite, where Adam said, "We're out of mind. Is there dynamite?" And you thought, "Yeah, realistically, there's dynamite. So you gotta have that 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 um, that that give either way." Uh, with ammunition because otherwise you're going to lose the trust of your players. Yeah. It's like, nope, for some reason there is no dynamite at this mine or in this armory there is no ammunition. <laughs> Everyone's going to be like, fuck you, man. You just want me to have five rounds. Yeah. Well, it, it, I grew up playing World of Warcraft and like you would get missions to go out and kill like zebras, uh, which are zebras. And Thanks you, for the clarification. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, and so you would get fantasy world is where you pronounce it correctly, but in the real world you pronounce zebra as zebra. <laughs> But in the game, you pronounce it as Zevra. <laughs> okay. Okay, fine. No, uh, so you would go out and you would have this quest, you know, collect four Zevra hooves. And you would go kill a Zevra and get maybe one hoof from it. Yeah. And you're just like, what the hell? And that pulled a lot of uh, immersion away from people. Whereas here, like, if you don't have that realism, it's going to be the exact same thing. Yeah. So I, I, I'm a big fan of trying to apply as much common sense realism to my games as I possible. I think so, especially if your players are going out of the way, say if we're doing, well, we took the dynamite from the mine or whatever type of Call of Cthulhu game you play, and we're going on a mission specifically because we want to collect ammo from the military barracks or something. You owe it to your players that there is ammo when they get there because they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Or what? Or if there's food in the supermarket or grocery store or whatever. Um, but I, for leveling... I, sorry, I'm just going to stop you for a sec because you're talking about resource management and whatnot. That's the thing that I like about the money system in Call of Cthulhu as opposed to 5th edition yes. or Dungeons and Dragons. Where you're just counting thousands of gold pieces because you just killed your 900th goblin. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's unwieldy and it's out of control. You have to give a bag of holding. Just so that people can carry the fucking. Oh, I think I'm over back of all. I don't think I'll ever use them again. But uh, but then in this, it's just like, are you under your threshold? Don't worry about it. Yeah. Right. Just don't worry about your money. And I'm going to adopt that in the DMD. Don't worry about your money, charity. Oh, it's all about my money. <laughs> uh, but for the leveling system, this is where, as a player, you got to get good with being flexible. If you're not a flexible person. This is not going to work. If you're no. if you're set that your character will be good at these things, and this is what I'll get better at, this is not a system for you. Because you can succeed in something that you didn't expect to succeed in, and you automatically will get better in that. So your skills are going to go away. Maybe you didn't expect to go. Yeah. So if you're not good with that, if you're set on, I know I said min-maxing and encourages earlier, but if you're set on just maxing out specific stats, this isn't going to work for you. But the way that you start your character initially you're only pumping stuff into a select few things. If you want to be good at anything, it does encourage me maxing in that sense. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so a little bit more in the character side of things, guys. Uh, for those of you who survived, I just want to know what does the future hold for our characters? What does what does the future hold for Detective Noir? Uh, I touched on it a little bit right at the end. Um, he's seen enough of war, insane stuff, things blowing up. Shot his own son. His wife ran off with a guy called Randy and lives in Ottawa. Um, so he's done, so he's gone off the grid. So this was his this was his out. Uh, was he could say I didn't survive this, and he said that to the military yeah, yeah. whoever. I didn't survive this, and he's just going to disappear off to somewhere in the Yukon and do what? Well, uh, not police work. Drink himself to death. Well, I don't think he knows at this point. He just knows he doesn't want to be here. I don't think there's a way you can plan for that based on what he just stepped out of. Yeah, he just knows that he's done with all of this, and that comes from, in a way, that comes from me. Because I, all the time, like, go through this world like, I don't want to live in this world with beeps and robots and I've got five different fucking robots in my kitchen. Everything's beeping at me and vibrating. I'm sick of artificial intelligence and smartphones. I want to go and live in Yukon myself. So I feel like that was a parallel. I, I don't think your shoes are tall enough. Please <laughs> 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 lost me again. <laughs> but, uh, but he's going off the grid. Okay, he's going off the grid. What about Gunther? Uh, honestly, probably about the same as uh, as Detective Noir. There, uh, he really <laughs> took a big hit after uh, no, after he killed Gertie. That like that that did a serious thing, and I mean it, it reflected well. I went from having ninety seven sanity to sixty six by the end of it. He took away a third of it. I mean, I was sitting there going, oh, "You're never gonna screw with my sanity." And I mean, you may be my own words. Uh, thank you. Um, but yeah, no, he's gonna he's gonna be a recluse. He's gonna have a dislike for French detectives probably <laughs> uh, while having a bigger appreciation Both for what? dynamite. <laughs> I was going to say nurses, but that's fine. <laughs> Dodge better. <laughs> she just oh, said she doesn't like the system. Uh, I didn't either. The sole heir of the Flanagan estate having lost the wealth of the Flanagan estate in the frozen north. What does the future hold for Charity Flanagan? Well, I did leave half at home. I only brought half okay. with me. So you're going to go grab the other chest. Nice. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I think she was going to try to find the um, other chest of money, and if she was successful, she would like um, go visit the family of Gertie and um, Rip and kind of do some type of memorial, and then she's going to get the... Rip's family's just a bunch of tombstones. No, no. Mama Ripley still exists. Oh, really? Like, yeah. All her alone on this dilapidated farm because they can't upkeep anymore. She can't afford farm hands. Yeah. That's, that's what he was in the north. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And, like, just never visit Canada again. Whoa. <laughs> Nobody ever says that. <laughs> that's very true. Um, for everyone around the table, uh, what was your biggest oh shit moment in the in the campaign? When I had to talk to that cultist and everyone was all like, go. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't want to do this. <laughs> that was my yeah. big moment. The councilman? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, obviously, when I when I killed Gertie, like, that was, uh, sh- shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, like, I, I don't, I don't want to do this, but I, I have to. Sorry. You know, like, that was, that was really, it was, it was making the bad decision knowing it was a bad decision. Yeah. Oh, those fucking wolves, man. The chase full of the 9,000 goddamn wolves. <laughs> oh, that was stressful. For no fucking reason. I was upset. I was upset. You're like, yep, 
Don't worry, guys, just one more roll. Three rolls later, I'm still taking fucking damage from fallen rocks, and there's wolves jumping at people, and I'm losing my shit, and Charity can't get up off the goddamn ground. I just and I'm, my no, knee. I'm, you know, oh my god. <laughs> Fuck. Thanks that was my own shit, ball. I was having none of it. I had to shoot a dog. <laughs> no, I, I chose to shoot twice. You chose to shoot two dogs. And who's, whose bright idea was that, Terry? Was that my idea? Yes. It worked, though, I think, didn't it? No. No. <laughs> no. Not even. Yeah, no, 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 it worked. It gained us one extra roll. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I went to shoot it in a non-lethal way. That certainly worked. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it worked. They they started attacking the dog instead. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. Well, they, they, it, it gave it gave you a, a <laughs> speed bump, basically. Man, that was the second dog I killed. No, that was the first one. That was the first that was one. The first dog. Uh, no, no, that was the first dog I killed in this game. That was the second dog you ah, killed. Right, right. My <laughs> mistake. My mistake. Oh lord. <laughs> Megan. Uh. <laughs> I would say probably when we were running through the city and trying to escape through like the with the alleyways and stuff, kind of same thing where it was just very stressful. And then we were kind of like bottlenecked into that last corner and the cultists were outside. Oh yeah. And then I shot you in the back. Yeah. That whole process. Yeah, um, that was probably very stressful because that was the moment where I realized I am not a fighter and I can't do anything to help you guys. So thanks for trying to keep me alive and maybe I'll heal you afterwards if I feel like it. So yeah. 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 I think for me, the biggest oh shit moment same situation was where the the mechanics took over and, and how we were doing the roles which was where we got pressed the time we opened the door they're all there i was like this is fucking easy boom molotov boom they're gone we don't have to wait but we kind of we spent too much time talking and then all of a sudden they were at the door yep and then my throw mechanic is not great so we did the roll and it didn't work in my mind it, it was simple i was like they're right there they're not even looking boom see you later but it went horribly wrong very quickly. Yeah. yeah. That's when I thought I was going to die. Very quickly for you. It was very terrible. It was awful. <laughs> Just like hit my hand off the door frame. Dink! Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Uh, but that being said, I mean, we kind of touched on a little bit earlier about how you're talking about in generally killing characters for you, Dan, is not something you enjoy doing. Um, so in this game in particular, what was it like to actually kill characters, um, knowing that it was going to permanently remove them from the table? And would you actually do that again? No. I. Uh, yes and no. Um, honestly, as, as much as I say I don't like uh, killing characters, and I, and I mean it, I don't. Um, I play this game because it's a game and I want everyone around the table to have fun. And if someone dies at the table uh, and they're not expecting it, because I've had players come to me before and be like, hey, I bored of this character, can, I just, can you kill him off and I'll roll a new one and I'll come back next week with a new one? I've had that before and that's fine. But... With the idea of having someone, if your character dies, you're getting up from the table, you're going away, we'll see you in a couple of weeks when we do a recap. Um, that was terrifying for me because I, I could not process how that logistically would work out. And I, I honestly hoped that it never came up um, and might have engineered a couple things so that it didn't. Um, I, would I do it again? Honestly, I think for certain types of games, yes, it would fit. With a Call of Cthulhu game, yes, that would fit. Like if you if your character dies, you're done. Sorry, we'll we'll meet up in a couple weeks and figure something else out. Um, for D and D game, not once would I do that. Um, I think they're D and D in the in the magical fantastical world that it is, with the ways of getting out of death. Um, I, I, I wouldn't hold my punches as much, 
but because death is so final in this, because you're you're legit, you're people, you are real people in this. Um, because death is so final, it was a lot harder to think ahead of that, and I, it was a threat I put over your heads that I did not really ever hope would ever come true. Because, yeah, that that just seemed like kind of brutal, um, ultimately. Or it's like, if you come in for three sessions and now you're gone for a couple weeks wondering what's going on. And it, it, yeah, it was it was definitely something I might do a little bit differently next time as well for the game. Like, I, I, I definitely wouldn't do that with uh, any other live play we do unless we do Call of Cthulhu again. I think this is, this is the only realm that this would happen. But, um... I don't know. I could see that in like an adventure league. Like, if you wanted to run a game tournament, if it's for a adventure weekend, league, yeah, right, for like a weekend where you're playing four or five sessions in a weekend, yes. But if you're doing a long-term campaign and someone puts in an entire evening building their character around a table in a session zero, uh, no. I, I figure if I can kick you off the table for risk, I can kick you off the table for a evening's worth of gaming. Yeah. Right? But I think you're right when it's... When there's another game and then another game When you've got game. weeks of gaming ahead of you to purposely deprive someone of that thinking that you might be responsible as the keeper. Yep. Right? Yeah. That 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 was no bueno for me. I don't think like that. I think it comes down to the social contract. We said right from the start. Right from the very start. If you die, you're, you're out. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm still in. Let's go. Yeah. Everybody yeah. knew. Everybody knew. But if you put that on somebody suddenly... If somebody, you know, if we came to the game and then someone died, they're like, yes, awkward, you can't come back. Then it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. But if you go it's, into it, everyone knows where they stand. It's yeah. definitely something, if, if I did do it in another game, it would be like... Predetermined. Points number two yeah. on the session zero checklist of things we're talking about. Right? Point like, number one being don't be a dick? Number one being don't be a dick. Okay. Right? Uh, number three is wear pants. No, that's like number six. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. I thought that was optional. <laughs> That's our option. So, so I, I do have a question. We've we've talked a lot about our characters. We've talked a lot about our the mechanics. Um, we're we're wrapping up this uh, this final recap episode. I I, I really want to know what are you guys going to do differently the next time you play Call of Cthulhu. Like, if there's one thing you will do differently, what would it be? Um, I think I would speak to the the GM more initially about um, items that I'm taking with me, starter items, yeah. I think are going to be critical. And they kept things kept coming up, kept running up that I think, oh, I wouldn't be better if I had this, had this. I really don't like the buying equipment with character creation system Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Now that we're bringing it up. But I, I think it's anything, just like, if, if it's feasible that your character has it, they can uh, have yeah, it. Like, I think if, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for years. I'm carrying around things like rope and a... Uh, hook and I think it's feasible that the GM can just say hey yeah like you said if it's it's realistic that you have it you can totally have it um, and I don't think I would try and spread my stats out as much I would know what my thing is what I can do hey this is what I offer the party this is what I'm good at um, and I would go with it that way I would just say this is the system that I would min max in everybody knows where I stand this is my thing instead of everybody having 22 perception or whatever the Call of Cthulhu equivalent is. Yeah. <laughs> An 80. Yeah. <laughs> Megan? Um, so I kind of said something similar along the lines of I would reestate like what my items are because I think that was my biggest um, cutthroat at the beginning because I wasn't here for the character creation piece of it. So I just came in the game without items. 
Um, so that was a big kind of like, I would just redo that. And I did knock on the percentile like system just because it kind of made me feel like as a nurse, it didn't work. But I feel like I would just go emotionally in this game with the understanding that my occupation isn't necessarily what I am. Mm-hmm. I am a human being and I have all these other capabilities that I could do. So I would go into it with a different mindset. Yeah. And with a different campaign, I like one of the things I would do as a, a keeper if I was to run it again, one thing I'd do differently is really open up the availability of different paths for you guys to go. This was fairly railroaded. Whereas if it was a little bit more sandbox, you guys would have been able to use some other skills like library use and, and those things a little bit more fully. Yeah. Right. Um, being able to actually, uh, we never once rolled psychoan- uh, psychoanalysis. We never once rolled library use. We never once, I think we once rolled library use. Like uh, it, there are so many other different mechanics in the game. If you built a more well-rounded character for a longer campaign, it would do better for you. But for a situation like this, I think we've talked about this before as well. It's a kind of a one-shot min-max. I would, I would love this game actually in an urban environment. Say if you're going to stick with the 20s, I love the idea of night buses and trams and having NPCs all over, especially if it's over months at a time. Mm-hmm. If you're starting to put pieces together, but hey, you know, we know Ted who works down the library downtown. Let's all head down there. But on the way there, something's happening. I would love this if it was played in, in an urban environment. Yeah. Yeah. Dave? Uh, I would, again, I would look at my skills differently. Uh, and, and kind of reallocate how I did it. I mean, I was a big game hunter, and when we started, I was 60% proficient with a rifle. Like, it just, I, I mean, that was my mistake going into it, but I, I, that's one of the things I'd really like a redo on and, and you know, have another look at. Cool. Yeah, yeah I agree with, um, with Dave. I would, like, pay um, more attention to my skills a little bit more, and definitely put points into spot hidden because... <laughs> you I never did. saw anything. No. You never exactly. saw anything. But, uh, I was in my own little world. Does, does that take us back to the idea of you don't have to roll for every single time you're looking for something? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. definitively spot hidden, and that should have been our clue when we sat down at session one to say this isn't see, this isn't look, this isn't observe or perception. It is spot hidden. You're spotting yeah. something that's hidden. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more search than anything else, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I and I really wanted to. Uh, I wanted to add use spot hidden as a way to add to atmosphere, as well. Like if you guys, I made you roll spot hidden whenever there was a chance for you guys to see something unique, which is a different view of like it is a very Dungeons and Dragons view of how spot hidden is supposed to work. But I think this. Uh, Call of Cthulhu leans on what will happen when you fail more than what will happen when you succeed. Whereas D&D happens more what will happen when you succeed more than what will happen when you fail. So um, if we ran it, it with the idea that if it's something anyone could see, fine, whatever. But I would make you roll if there was something additional, right? Like if seeing the crows, that's when I was making you roll spot hidden. And then further beyond that, seeing the Aurora actively change pattern, um, which no one spent any time like really investigating the Aurora, but the Aurora was, uh, this is something that I really hoped was addressed but wasn't, but was actually um, working its way into Inuit uh, formations of letters and stuff like that in the skies above you. And it was supposed to add to this 
um, fact that this area was cursed. Right. Where was your other language roles for that one, Charity? Right. <laughs> she was trying to use spot hidden. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah. If, if if we do more of the, you know, it's it's I think I it's uh, if anything's just a standard human, will be able to catch it. It's just an exce- success. Move on. Yeah. But if you guys wanted to amplify that success in any way, shape, or form, you could volunteer. Hey, can I roll this to see if there's maybe something else here? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I think there's a lot more weight on the player in Call of Cthulhu to determine what the action is, and the Keeper is just kind of supposed to sit there with his notes and... Almost more of a referee than well, he's He's a referee, and he's a, uh, a a bookkeeper, right? Like, he's sitting there, and it's like, oh, you have determined this piece of information. One second, here's this piece of information. What do you want to do next? And yep. just waits with his book of information, and you guys actually have to figure it out, <laughs> right? Whereas with D and D, it's kind of flashed in your face with neon lights and fireworks, <laughs> usually. Not so, fireworks. Yay! Um, does anyone have any final thoughts on the game? How the campaign went? Mm, I would. I would definitely play it again. I play it in different ages, different eras, different styles of horror. But I actually love it. I think I can play this game a lot. And in some ways, I like it more than Dungeons and Dragons. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I, would I really take. like this game. Hot take. I really yeah. like this game. I'm with Terry on this one. I, I like the D100 system a lot better than the D20 system. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot more simple, it's a lot more streamlined. And I mean, I play Dungeons and Dragons because I like combat, but I do it for the story. Uh, this is far more story driven than Dungeons and Dragons yeah. is. And I mean, that just better yeah it's built towards storytelling so if you want a storytelling game this is what it's supposed to do right yeah. so um yeah. i would play it again again same same thing i'd probably do a different setting and a different kind of yeah i like the idea process. of some sort of walking dead zombie apocalypse i like the horror aspect though so yeah. i agree like zombie apocalypse that would, would fit really well because i feel like the system is also geared towards that panic system and trying to do things really quickly and doing yeah. things really fast yeah so. i feel like you do some sort of gritty Type Dracula type thing as well, where yeah. it won't be as fantasy like as like Curse of Strahd. I, I'm thinking, do you guys know like Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Yeah. Shit too? yeah, this would be really good for that. Or people sort of being replaced by replicas yeah. and shit. Like that's that's what this system like feels like. Like mystery horror. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, my final thoughts is I want to DM it. I want to sit there and I want to know the rules in and out. That's me. But I want to sit down and play with the horror because Daniel's just going. Oh, I explained tendons and Mieko got squirmy. I'm like. Yes, but let me go deeper. I want to give everyone nightmares. This is this is the opportunity. I am now convinced off of what you've done here, Dan. This is the horror game. Yes. Yeah. Definitively, this mechanically is the game to scare your players. We say you truly feel vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. And, and we've said in the past, it's hard to be scared in D and D. Yeah, because there's always a, a whim of it's going to work out. And even or like, I'll just roll up my next character. Yeah, because that's what I was saying. I even remember when we were sitting at the table in our old campaign where, like, I remember your character died, Terry, and then you said, oh, I've got, like, seven more in my head. It's fine. You know what I mean? Like, so you're, like, ready to go. You're already thinking of your next character. Yeah. Whereas in this game, we came in with the precursor of, like, we can't do that, right? So. Yeah, much more invested, yeah. Honestly, I would run a Cursor Straw type game with this system. Yeah. Where it wouldn't be all, like, as fantastic and high-powered as Cursor as Straw is, but... That a gritty type of Dracula game would be really good, I think. Oh. Um, my final thoughts. I had a very good time. 
Thanks, Charity. I can lean closer to the microphone. God fucking did. Oh, did I? <laughs> I had a very good time. No, um, Man, I... you can't help it. She's foreign. Sorry. <laughs> this is true. So, uh, uh, there's one thing I do want to point out. Like, we keep on saying, you know, this is the horror game. Um, and I completely agree. But we are kind of saying, you know, the 1920s is the way it's kind of designed to be built in. But. Um, I would say there are many, many different supplements out there for any era you guys want to play in. Um, everybody out there, they're not sponsoring this, but I'm going to plug them anyways. The creators of Call of Cthulhu uh, actually have supplements out there. If you want to play medieval, if you want to play uh, zombie apocalypse, if you want to play sci-fi, if you want to play modern, if you want to play zombie apocalypse, uh, I said zombie apocalypse already, but if, like any of these other ones, if you want to play uh, a Vernian style of Call of Cthulhu, where you're doing like 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea. There's supplements out there for you. So uh, go to chaosium.com. That is their website. Um, this is where you can get all of this information. They also have a free kind of quick start guide to give it a test, which comes with a module. Go run it, see if you like this system for yourselves, and hit us up on social media with your guys' thoughts on it. Um, and yeah, well, well, I'm really interested in maybe seeing us play this again, uh, with a different kind of setting, maybe something more modern zombie apocalypse, Adam. Uh, yes. Stay tuned. Yeah. So, um, guys, uh, those of you in the room with me now, thank you so much for, uh, being a part of this. Uh, thank you for really committing and, uh, really diving in and role playing well. Uh, Thank you, Dan. Yeah, I know this was yeah. a challenge for you, and you were stressed about this the whole time. And now you have like a month and a half of editing, so also fuck you, Dan. Woohoo! So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's your reward. Yeah, Dan, you did a great job, man. Yeah, Thank honestly, you, you really, you really did. Absolutely, I enjoyed myself. And we do not said. make it easy. No, no, <laughs> no. Literally, nobody at this table makes and, it easy. And, and Megan every, was all right. May, uh, like I have no. no she was the fuck off. And everyone, I like to point out, Megan's character was the only one without a fucking gimmick. You had your little fucking shoes and click, 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 click. You had your old fucking dynamite and I'm like, oh, yes, dude. Uh, your fucking that. gun. You and you're walking around shoes. with your pile of money. <laughs> I like, never said the shoes. You said the shoes. You started with the shoes. You gave me the dynamite. <laughs> I'm just here to be a nurse. <laughs> Megan's been a nightmare ever since we started, so don't even what? <laughs> But seriously, Dan, any one of us, except for probably me, Anka, would tell you that you did a shitty job if you did. Yeah. And, yeah. and you did a... Oh, okay, it's because you're a sweetheart. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, but honestly, this was fantastic. Thank you very much for this. Yeah, thanks. Thank I had so much fun this time. I want to run this as well. You want to do the next round? Sure. Yeah, I'll do the next. I'm down to play that. Yeah. We'll organize when we do it. Cool. It's gonna be like British horror, so it's all gonna be like London. Oh, the Ripper Street, Jack the Ripper. There, there is a Victorian London supplement. Marvelous. Yeah, we'll do like a Ripper Street type thing. Everyone yeah. start working on your on your Cockney accents oh, just to piss off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? I feel terrible. <laughs> they they don't know which one of us said that. <laughs> Drive me um, so as we just be the visiting Canadians, <laughs> as as we uh, close this out, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, uh, the audience, uh, for really tuning in and experiencing this with us, going on the ride with us here. If you guys want to get 
a hold of uh, any of us here uh, around the table, you can send us an email at itsamimic at gmail.com. Fuck Dave. God damn. No. It, yeah. <laughs> Info at itsamimic. Info at itsamimic.com. Uh, you can reach us on Instagram at itsamimic. You could reach us on Twitter at itsamimicdnd and on Facebook at the itsamimic page. Um... It has been an honor to run this for you guys. I'm looking forward to the next one we play, um, where I will probably play a little, kind of short, vaguely Irish character. I imagine so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Are you gonna play a leprechaun? Please play a leprechaun. <laughs> if we're in Victorian small. London, 100%, I will play a leprechaun. Yeah, but you'll end up coming from the Bronx by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. probably, yeah. probably. So uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. This has been an It's a Mimic production. You can find more quality content on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or at www.itsamimic.com. Oh my god, I have to pee so bad. <laughs> <laughs>